0: Good evening. I'd like to call this September 27th, 2022 School Board Work Session to order. Ms. Goodell, could you please take the roll?
1: Yes, Dr. Dimick Here. Ms. Downs. Here. Dr. Gould. Here. Dr. Ortiz. Here. Ms. Silverman. Here. And Ms. Dice. Here. Thank you.
0: Thank you. If you all could join me and say the Pledge of Allegiance.
2: I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America,
1: to the Republic for
3: which it stands one nation under God indivisible
0: with liberty and justice for all thank you if I could have a motion to adopt the agenda yes vice-chair Gould
3: I move that the school board adopt the agenda as presented
0: thank you could have a second thank you Ms. ties all those in favor say yes. yes yes all those opposed say no Okay, thank you. Motion carries. We're now at 2.01 student performance data presentation part two, and I'll turn it over to Dr. Noonan.
4: Thank you, uh, Chair Downs. Good evening, everybody. It's great to see you all uh, here. We've got a a packed house, um, which is really great. Um, And online tonight, we have William Bates along with um, a couple of others who I'll introduce in just a second. Um, But just wanna thank everybody for being here. Um, I thought I'd start tonight with just a, um, a, a brief sort of update Um, I had an opportunity the last two days to meet with my region colleagues from Region 4. Um, We have our annual retreat um, and I got back this afternoon. And it's a really great opportunity for us to kind of get together and talk about sort of issues that um, impact all of us um, significantly as we uh, do the work of the superintendency. And one of the things that we uh, always try to do is land on what is our our work for the year going to be. And we were all reminded the, um, of the power that we have to be positive ambassadors uh, in public schools and how important that is, particularly now with um, what can only be seen sort of as an aggressive approach by the Virginia Department of Education and our, our current governor to make m- many of us look bad um, through, through a variety of ways, um, up and in to include um, the most recent press release, about accreditation where um, there wasn't even a mention of a thank you to teachers or administrators for the work that they've done as we come out of a two and a half year or three year uh, pandemic um, and and it's 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 a sad state of affairs i think for um, superintendents across the, the commonwealth um, and and we're all feeling a little bit um, beaten down for it but um, we've come through this in a way that i think Um, has been in in many ways sort of a celebration as well and it was good for us to kind of get together and spend some time thinking about that. So um, tonight um, really is an opportunity for us to share some good news and a good news story. Um, Our data is going to paint that picture. We're not going to, we're just going to share the data with you and and let you sort of make of it what you will. Um, But but I do think what you'll see in here um, is pretty excellent and reveals Um, Also, some areas of improvement that we need to um, embark on and continue to work on. So what you'll see in the data tonight is that we, as a school division, did outperform every district in Virginia, uh, in the Commonwealth. Um, You'll see that our kids are doing really well in the International Baccalaureate process, uh, and you'll also see how we're doing with the whole child, um, because at the end of the day, we're trying to develop kids into really great adults. And it's not just about test scores, it's about other things that they're doing as well. So you'll get some information about that. Um, you'll also see comparative data um, for the schools close to us, and also uh, at your request, uh, similar-sized districts around the Commonwealth to see how we did comparatively to other districts that are about the same. Um, you will see um, that we made gains with our special ed students. You'll see special education students, you'll see that we made gains with our ESOL students. Um, And again, you'll also see that there are some areas that we need to grow in, Um, but the gains and the growth really are um, a consequence of structural changes that we've made here in the city of Falls Church Schools over the last five years. And you all have been a big part of that because it's been a significant um, budget process for us over the last few years to continue to grow our, our staff, our expertise in our staff, and we can only do that with the support of the board. And one example um, is the, the staffing models that we're using in our school system are very different than the staffing models that anybody else around the Commonwealth is using. Um, and one perfect example is that we, we by rights, um, according to the Virginia Department of Education, staffing models should have two ESOL teachers in our division. We have six. Uh, and we have six because you all have helped us through that process to get six and with the advocacy of, of Dr. Santiago and William Bates. Uh, we have um, expert content specialists in our buildings in mathematics now in each of our schools, uh, which is a new, uh, a new area of emphasis for us. It's always been an emphasis, but it's even more emphasized now because we have experts and that's a consequence of the work that you all have done with the budget. So. Um, it really is a testament to um, the structural supports that you've helped us put in place over the years. But as you observe the data um, tonight and you see those areas of growth, one of the things that I, I hope you'll remember um, is that these are students and it's not the students' faults that they didn't do well. Uh, these, the reason that our students that didn't do well um, didn't do well for a variety of reasons and they're all structural reasons. Um, school systems weren't developed for everybody. Um, If you look at them historically, for example, um, there are many students that have been marginalized historically in school divisions, and we're working really hard to break down some of those historical barriers and dismantle some of those uh, areas that unfortunately get in the way of learning. Uh, We can't do it all, but what we can do is everything we can do, Um, and we will continue to push our structures here to make sure that we're meeting the needs of all kids so that when we say all, we really mean all. Um, So tonight, I want to turn it over here in just a second to William Bates, who's joining us from a conference. So thank you, Mr. Bates, for Zooming in this evening. We we miss you here at Ground Zero, but uh, know you're you're learning on behalf of the City of Falls Church. Um, I want to thank Dr. Peter Weilandman for being here. Peter's going to do a lot of the presentation tonight. I'll just remind the board that Peter is a data person. Um, He's not an instructor or a teacher, so uh, he doesn't necessarily know everything that happens in our schools. but we have our, our principals here tonight um, who have also joined us in case there are questions about what's happening in school. So I want to thank uh, Dave Sorensis, Rob Carey, Tim Kasich, and Kareem Darty for being here this evening. Um, I also want to take a second just to give a shout out to uh, Julie Macrina and Shen Santiago who are also here. Um, there's Jen and there's Julie. Um, they also are at a conference um, in a different part of the country from where Mr. Bates is. Um, but they have been integral in a lot of this work, along with um, someone new to our table, and I want to welcome Angelina Presbytino. Uh Angelina came to us um, just about a month ago, uh, and she is uh, our new director of um, special education. Um, and she, you may remember Seamus O'Connor, and Seamus left uh, and took an assistant principal position, and Angelina has come over and joined us, and she comes with an incredible wealth of skill and knowledge. So. Um, we've got the team here tonight um, We're again, we're very excited um, to share what we have to share with you tonight because we do think it's good news. Uh, and as ambassadors for public education, we want to make sure um, that, that we do all we can um, to, to celebrate what's positive and also learn from those areas that uh, need some support. So with that, I'll turn it over to uh, William Bates, who will lead us off, and then I'm sure he's going to turn it over to Dr. Weilandman. Mr. Bates.
5: That is absolutely correct. Thank you, Dr. Noonan. Can everyone hear me okay? Excellent. Thank you. Um, Good evening, Chair Downs, Vice Chair Gould and members of the school board and the community. Um, As Dr. Noonan said, we are really excited to be able to um, share this second presentation um, with you. So we titled the uh, presentation, Curriculum, Instruction, and Assessment Updates. But we know that this is the much anticipated data presentation that we um, gave you the first um, portion of back in the spring. If you remember back to the spring, we um, shared that because we wouldn't have all of our hard data, our state assessment data, as well as some of the IB data, we wanted to wait until early in the fall to be able to to bring that to you and so we are really excited to do that and as dr noonan said this is a celebration i think of of the data and of of our students as well as our staff but we also know that there's going to be some areas that we need to dig into and and we can talk a little bit about that as well um before we get started i would be remiss if i didn't give a big uh, shout out and hats off to our instructional staff. So all of our wonderful teachers, all of our um, support staff who support kids in the classrooms and then everyone else who um, might not be forward facing with students, but we know support students, um, whether from afar or or closely. And so that is our, everyone from our school-based administrators to our central office staff, our instructional um, central office staff, as well as any, um, anyone else that, that provides a service uh, to our students, as well as our parents. Because when we look at some of these um, exceptional data points, we know that that can't happen without the entire village. And so this is really a, a, a testament to all of the great work that, that the community has done as we've wrapped our arms around our students. We can jump into the next slide. All right. We'll go to the next slide. Okay. All right. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So we have our vision and our mission for FCCPS, and I'm not going to read that to you. I know our board members are very familiar with it, and it is directly aligned to our strategic plan. But what I would like to do is just pull out a couple of key factors. And so, if we look at our our mission, our goal is to support each child's needs. So we want to support their unique needs, but we also want them to develop into responsible, caring citizens, citizens who are internationally minded. And when we think back or um, even this evening, take a look at some of our IB projects, we know that our students um, are astutely aware of what's happening in their communities as well as what's happening internationally and globally, and you can see that come through in, in their projects. As far as our mission is concerned, so, it's, sorry, as far as our vision is concerned, um, again, you see that student centered right there in the, in, the first, in the first sentence. Everything we do, we have to keep students at the center. And so whether that's in our classrooms as we're providing instruction, or whether it's in the hallways, in the cafeteria, the athletic fields or the performance art stages or the fine arts. We want um, our focus to really be on on our students and ensuring that everything is student-centered, again, with that um, IB learner mindset in mind. There were a number of data sources that we wanted to be able to share with you this evening. So what we've done is we've kind of bucketed them into three three parts. So the first portion of the presentation, we'll talk about our IB measures. After we um, finish up with our IB measures, we'll move into our standardized assessments. Primarily, we'll look at our SOL data. And then for the final portion of this evening, we'll look at the whole child data. And so. Uh, just to give the board um, staff as well as the greater community an understanding of what are those things that we're doing to really develop the whole child and what are some of the what are some of those measurables what are some of the outcomes um, that take place whenever a school division and schools really focus and hone in on developing the whole child Talked a little bit about the FCCPS vision and mission, but the IB also has a mission. And so it's important that we root our work as a premier IB school division in the mission of the IB. And so again, not going going to read this, but I think it's important that we pull out some of those key factors. And so we want our students to develop that inquiry. We want our students to also be knowledgeable and we want our students to really strive to create a, a better and more peaceful world through understanding um, other cultures, other uh, religion, other points of views. And I, I can uh, tell you as I, um, as I sit at a, at a conference I, here in, in Arizona, the last three days have really been focused on SEL. They've been focused on student resilience. They've also been focused on engagement and how communities can as um we've continue to come out of of the pandemic uh, i Many of us would like to think that we're out of it, but we I, I think it um it's more appropriate to say that as we continue to come out of the pandemic we we know that we see students struggle um and not just academically but socially and emotionally and um we've seen in some, in some areas, in some respects, students not be as engaged at the level um, that they had previously been engaged in, whether it's in the community or whether it's in um, the sports and athletics. And so I can tell you that what's really been interesting is to sit at a conference and for three days as we've um, been able to dig into some of the things that we can do as school divisions and communities, not talk once about how we can help kids receive or achieve A's and B's in their classes. And so I just, again, I, I share that to say that um, that intercultural understanding and that global mindedness and um, really being a, a difference maker in the world has been kind of the root of this conference. And um, I love the fact that you'll see in, the, in our data, that we have students that are doing the very things that so many other places are really struggling um, to get their kids involved in. We wanted to start this presentation off with a, with a celebration. And so as we get into the IB section, um, you all are aware from this previous spring that we went through a five-year IB evaluation and we had no matters to be addressed at all levels. So when we look at all three programs that we implement, which is our PYP, our MYP, and our DP, across all of our schools, we didn't have a single matter to be addressed. The other wonderful thing is that we've already begun the implementation of PYP at JTP, and so we're already in talks and uh, have started looking at um, when we will schedule a spring evaluation for JTP. And what's already been shared with us is that this, not that it's gonna be a breeze or it's going to be easy, but um, kind of the confidence boost from uh, the IB representatives that because we've already started doing the work of the PYP work at JTP, they anticipate a uh, very promising evaluation for um, our littlest uh, ones over at JTP and the staff there. So we're really, um, really excited. And, and I can say, again, not to get too uh, deep into it, but just having been in other, in other school divisions, and I know Dr. Noonan can share this sentiment as well, um, but it's a major accomplishment for a single school to go through an evaluation and not have any matters to be addressed. But the fact that all of our schools that are implementing the three levels of the um, programming, the fact that none of them had matters to be addressed is just an an exceptional, accomplishment that we um, wanted to share.
3: Mr. Bates, just to clarify, um, that should not be confused with accreditation, correct? Accreditation is, the, the bar for accreditation is, is much lower and most school districts pass that. This is different, correct? This is a much higher bar. So when you say no matters to be addressed, that's quite rare,
5: correct? Absolutely, absolutely. Accreditation is state um, and, and this is through the IB, and you're exactly right.
4: I just would say um, accreditation is um, for most divisions uh, for our division, a pretty low bar. Um, there are a lot of school divisions across the Commonwealth that are struggling with accreditation. But, um, just to make
5: sure, that we're not, just to put it out there. Yeah, and and then, um, Peter, I'm going to pass it over to you. So I know you're going to jump in. But I also wanted to um, share and this is um, hot off the presses, and you may have had a chance to, to add it to the slide, uh, to a slide uh, later on, uh, I'm not sure, but um, we received yesterday morning a notification that um, our very own Meridian High School um, was selected as, or recognized as, one of the top 100 Y's, it's W-I-S-E, high schools in, um, in the country. And that is for um, for schools that implement the um, financial literacy instruction through our CTE programs, and the schools that were um, the schools that were um, recognized. Um, the minimum criteria was that at least ninety one percent of the students needed to pass that test and receive the um, financial literacy credential. And so again, that was uh, hot off the presses. We just got that news yesterday. And so there will be more information about that, but um, we'll be doing a little bit of celebrating at, at Meridian for that accomplishment.
3: Peter.
6: I think I'm up. Um, Chair Downs, Vice Tara Gold, thank you for having me tonight. The rest of the board, honored guests. I appreciate your support tonight. Um, we have a lot of good news to share and a few things to work on um, but I wanted to um, start off pick up where Mr. Bates left off at with IB and so the next couple slides we're going to look at are just some strengths of what I, the IB committee um, found for us and then a couple things that we really need to focus on and look at and uh, I'm not going to go over everything because you're going to in two weeks see um, the principals give their, um, st- their plans for their schools this year and they'll cover a lot of the ground that's in here. Um, but I'm going to just highlight a couple that I thought were interesting. And um, maybe you'll agree with me that they're interesting as well. Um, a couple that I thought were really interesting were that the, the school community governing body and leadership saw a strong commitment to the mission of the IB. Um, being a premier IB program, I think that's really important. And for that for them to be recognized for that, I think is a very high thing um, to be to be recommended or, or, or for them to, to commend for us. I also thought this one was really important, especially when we look back over the last two years and we read about um, students having struggling with their social emotional, but the schools provide a safe, healthy environment characterized by respect for diversity, fairness and trust. Um, So again, I think that's something that's really great that they pointed out that that's that's really a good thing for us. Moving on to the next slide, Um, some areas for further development, and we saw a few trends that we really saw also in the strategic planning Um, process in the k-12 data um, related to communication and trying to connect kids to to real life experiences and so for IB for all they mentioned that reframing the message to the community about the IB programs and the IB for all to be representative of the IB program continuum so a focus of not just um, you know the IB Diplomas but there's a whole continuum of things that students can do and I think that is something already that we've taken a look at in the strategic plan and, and we're already working on that one Um, And then also making explicit connections for students to the IB learner profile. So I think those were were good things for us to kind of look at and and start working on. And I know the schools have already jumped right into that. Moving on to the next slide is the PYP evaluation. Um, And similarly, they had a lot of really good strengths. And that the thing that I thought was really nice is that the schools have a clear plan to achieve to achieve their goals. So the fact that here is an IB program relatively new compared to our secondary programs They have goals. They know where they're going. It's going in the right direction. So I thought that was nice that that was pointed out. Um, And then the school's reflection on the program uh, development plan conclude a positive outcome was achieved. So in that reflection bullet um, they're again, they they kind of know what they need to do. They're in the right direction. They're moving forward. So I thought those were two some highlights. areas to to be considered. I thought it was interesting that they used the word considered on uh, this group and not uh, not the uh, secondary group, but um, kind of related to data, which I thought was interesting. So the bottom two bullets were were stuck out for me and maybe that's because I'm a a data nerd, Um, but establishing process for collecting evidence um, or data at different points throughout and during the plan. So they're looking at more of a long term look at the data. Uh, And then there's also considerable multiple ways to gather data and evidence, which is always, uh, you know, a good thing. Like tonight, you'll see a a variety of data points. We didn't want to just give you test scores. We want you to have a variety. I think IB there is kind of doing the same thing. They want to see a variety of data points. So so again, um, just so you know that the the schools are going to come back and talk to you about your their action plans, and they're going to probably cover a lot of these in much, much more depth than than tonight than I did tonight. Moving on. Doctor, um, well,
3: just real quick. Please. This, so what was the difference between further development consideration? You made a comment about it. I just didn't know.
6: Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming uh, again, I realized that we, we had our, our overall, you know, review was that we're, we have nothing to be addressed, but there's always something to do, something to get better. And so I think if the, the one team uh, gave one verbiage on how oh, we should okay. be looking at it and the other team gave the consideration verbiage. Um, again, I'm not an expert in the IB evaluation process, but I would say that's probably what they're saying is, you know, consider this. You may want to do this to improve for next time type deal. Um, moving on to some, some data. Um, we all love data. So um, first thing is diploma candidates for our, um, last year. Um, we had 57, um, which, which is a, a very large um, number. It's the largest since 2011. Um, diplomas received 46, um, so that's above our 12 year um, average. I want to remind you that remember what these students were going through during this process. So the fact that we're getting close to our 12 year average is, is pretty remarkable um, and is a testament to those students and the hard work they put into it. Um, the average score on the, the diploma, the DP assessments was five, 5.5. Remember it's on a seven point scale. So one to seven, so we're, we're, clo- we're up on the high end of that. Um, And that is, again, above our 12 year average. Um, I thought the next two are really important. So this year for class of 23, we have 56 students who are still going after the the IDU diploma and then year two. So the class of 24, we have 75. So again, there's a lot of interest in there. Um, I think the importance here is that we are always trying to ensure that all students have a rigorous, um, you know, curriculum. Um, But we're also trying to get more inclusion in that. And so we're encouraging students from uh, diverse groups, special ed students, ESOL, other groups to kind of push through with that. Um, Can I just ask a... Do you, and
7: I don't expect you to have these numbers off the top of your head, but maybe you do. Do you know what percentage of students, rather than just the raw number, just so, because I'm assuming
6: the population has increased. Uh, I well, I I wouldn't want to. I could guess, but I prefer to just give you that. I can give you that. Get you that information. Okay. Thank you. Okay. So you want the percentage?
7: Yeah. Ju- instead of just the raw number. Sure. Um, Dr. Wellman, would you prefer? I
0: think we were taking breaks after each session. Section, right? Would it be better go. to hold our
6: questions to the end of? What, what works but I don't want to keep um, yeah, I'm I'm at your disposal so please let me however you guys want to best do it I mean I think we, we put were going to take some purpose right yeah, we have three breaks right um, so if we
0: could maybe if you all would mind if it would be okay to hold questions um, just because I think that will help you with your flow of presentation and then knowing perfect. we'll have three breaks
6: perfect okay Thanks. perfect um, the last bullet in this one um, was um, and I think this is one that may be underlooked, but I mean, we had 286 students taking at least one exam. That's that's a pretty large number. Um, so um, I, I can get you exact percentage on on what that is of the classes, um, but I, I think that's a huge number of kids who are taking at least one. You know, I think if we looked at that number for like AP or something like that, people are like be I mean, like, "Wow, that's a great that's great for your size of you know your district." Um, But I think this is something that really should be commended and the high school staff encouraging kids to try IB and and, and try to be successful in it. Uh, That is the um, that is the largest since 2011. So this is I mean, this is kind of big news. on the next slide we talk about um, students taking an exam and then we we exceeded the global average on it. So this is not only a national score but this is a global score and, and I'm not going to read down the different tests but in these areas our students scored higher than the global average. So this is again a commitment, I mean this is a celebration of students hard work and efforts and their teachers working hard to, to challenge them and, and they did very well. Uh, As a reminder, IB is is both an internal and an external scoring event, so it's not just us scoring them, our teachers scoring them, it's other exterior boards um, looking at the scores and giving us a score back, which is why we don't get the scores back until July. Um, But again, this shows really good achievement for our students, and I think they should be very proud of it. Um, But that's not the only thing that IB looks at. So we've, we've looked at some of the scores now, but I think a big component in IB um, is their projects and so uh, there are three major projects that are done through the IB process and it challenges students to not only earn a, uh, to learn about a topic but to gain a deeper understanding and most importantly communicate the information to the community i mean it 's sometimes great the kids can learn it but it's harder to present about it um, just ask me tonight um, <laughs> but uh, I, I think um, that that piece of learning how to communicate and um, Teach uh, other people about it is just a huge um, learning thing for students, um, and I highly recommend that you check out if you haven't seen the fifth grade exhibition project um, website. I put a link on the back. It's fun, it's phenomenal, so go check that out. Um, but we wanted to talk about each one briefly and give you some numbers on that as well. Um, so first is the fifth grade um, exhibition project. Um, And it's really the culmination of a collaborative experience in the final year of their IB experience, typically fifth grade. Um, Students explore and document and share their understanding of issue of opportunity of personal significance. Um, I wanna stress that this process doesn't just start in fifth grade. It's not like they come in in fifth grade. The whole process starts as early as pre-K. They're starting to talk about IB uh, research, uh, communication. Um, So it kind of goes from pre-K Onto Mount Daniel, onto Oak Street, and then they kind of wrap it up at, at Oak Street uh, with this great um, presentation. So, on the next page, you'll see um, that we had um, all eight, um, eight fifth grade classes um, participate. We had 100% participation, which is excellent. That means every kid did it to the best of their ability. It doesn't matter what gap group they were or whatever, they, they did a presentation. Um, there were 54 groups that did it, so there's a lot of collaboration going on. Um, I really love that there were 54 mentors and the 54 members, uh, mentors represented at least one person from every building in FCCPS as well as community members. So I think these are all great numbers and I, I got to, to walk around it, and i really enjoyed. It was one of my, one of my favorite things I like to do in the spring is checking out all these young guys explaining about all sorts of stuff. So, uh, highly recommended if you haven't seen and again, I, I check out the website. Um, then there are two projects um, with the, the MYP, um, which allows students to kind of participate in sustained self-directed inquiry with the global context um, to generate creative new insights and develop deeper understanding through an in-depth investigation. Um, they're going to communicate this effectively in a variety of settings um, and more importantly, appreciate the process of learning. I think once you learn how to learn, that really helps you lifelong um, and, and all the things you do in your life. Um, so the first one we'll talk about is the, um, the, the MIP community project, which happens in eighth grade. Um, and it focuses, um, it's a research and service project that focuses on community and service, uh, encouraging students to explore the responsibility as a global citizen to implement services action in the community. Um, this is the first time. Uh, that it was done for all eighth graders last year so I think that's awesome that everyone got to participate um, we had um, 10 10 eighth grade classes we had 100 percent participation we had 62 um, groups um, and then there were 50 57 student awards that came out of that so they were they were cited for the quality of their work um, so again a lot to celebrate there Finally, the second project uh, for NYP is the personal project. Um, and NYP students explore an area of personal interest. Um, it pro- provides them with an opportunity to consolidate their learning, develop important skills they'll need in both further education and life beyond the classroom. Um, there were uh, 99% participation, uh, 218 projects, um, number of 10th grade classes who did it were 15 stable classes were involved. Um, And then there were 50 IB learner profile um, certificates handed out. Um, I thought it was great that we had 20 business and education and teachers providing feedback. Um, So again, a lot of volunteers helping out making that process happen. So at this point, I'd like to thank um, all the staff volunteers and of course our IB coordinators for their yearly work on this valuable project. Um, Again, I think this is, um, you know, for all of us who have done a dissertation. I mean, a dissertation, the classroom seems like nothing compared to the dissertation. So these are kind of like mini dissertations for these kids, you know, learning how to to basically learn, present um, and get in depth on the topics they have. So kudos to all the people who are helping out with that. And um, um, that is it on the NYP projects. So as we wrap up the IB data points, we just want to hit a couple highlights, the strengths. Uh, The big news is no matters to be addressed. Uh, I think Mr. Bates uh, covered that well. Um, and then also, we, I'm a big believer in the IB projects, which allow students an opportunity to showcase a variety of skills from research, presentation, writing and in some cases, real world application. Uh, and we're back in person doing it. So that's to be celebrated. Um, we do have a couple of instructional enhancements that we did want to mention to you um, before our questions first, uh, as Mr. Bates mentioned, Jesse Thackeray will be going through an IB evaluation on um, this spring. Um, We are also seeking initial authorization for the IB career related program, um, which is another track. So this will mean students don't necessarily have to do uh, a diploma track. They can do this CP track instead. So again, we're we're trying to give as many options for students to participate in IB because we believe in it. Uh, And then in collaboration with the strategic strategic plan, communication with students, families and the community. To, um, to make sure that they understand what IB has to offer and and what options students have um, to, to participate in an IB. Okay, so with that being said, we have hit the first question slide. So,
0: they're all chomping at the bit.
6: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Who would like to go, Dr. Dimick? Uh
8: Thank you very much, that was great. I'm a big fan of the of the IB program and it sounds like things are going really well. Um, I enjoyed that you um, included the sort of the project focused. I I think project-based learning is beneficial for kids. I have one question and this is probably because I don't, you know, I don't yet have a kid in 11th grade. But sort of looking forward to the classes he'll be taking. Um, so So you gave a... 280 students take at least one exam. Um, and I'm wondering if you have to take an exam. So, Because looking forward, it seems like every student in the high school is taking IB English, either at the standard level or at the higher level, pretty much. like Those are your English options. Um, so if you, if, if you do that, is, is, is it your choice whether or not you take an exam? Or do you have to take an exam and maybe?
6: David, do you know?
9: Sure. So, you're right. All the students in English are taking H.O. or SL. They're not required to take an IB exam or pursue the IB diploma though. That's still a choice. We're just trying to give them the opportunity to experience
10: IB.
8: Okay. So, the 280 that, like, they are, those include, you know, the students who want to do the diploma are obviously taking the exam, but then there are a lot of students who are just choosing to take the exam. Okay. Thank you.
0: Thank You dr. Demick Ms. Tice uh,
11: I just had a question kind of as a follow-up to that And do you have a sense of what percentage of kids like who take the class versus take the exam
6: I, w- I would have to look into that for you i was just curious
11: and does it does it help their GPA do they get like a bump like you, you used to in AP so you get a 0.5 or something.
4: You do. You get a weighted a weighted 0.5. Um and and typically that's tied to taking the exam, but not always. So that in my old vision, it was.
9: Right, and that's something we have talked about. But as it currently stands, it's not tied directly right. to taking the exam. It's just being enrolled in the AP or IB course. Got it. Okay.
11: I'm sure that's the motivation as well, in addition to all the other wonderful <laughs> benefits. Well,
4: <laughs> one of the motivators could be it's actually a, a financial motivator for parents because if you score five, six, or seven on the ib assessment you get a college credit for that so and it's one less course you have to take when you go to college so hopefully our our parents are in to know about that
5: as well and if yes. i if i may okay. add yeah. yes go uh, ahead I was I was like, would...
0: where is that voice coming from? <laughs> 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 yes mr
5: bates go ahead i, I was just going to say if, if i may add you we've had conversations um about this in in the past and we want all of our students to be exposed to the rigors of IB. Um, And and we don't want the exam to be a barrier. And so students may take the course without taking the exam. Um, But then again, we also, um, we want our students in that experience of taking an IBDP course to um, be fully prepared and feel that they're fully prepared to take, to sit for the exam and do well on it. And so that's always going to be our goal, that they would they would take it, they would experience it, they would be successful in it and be fully prepared to sit in and, and, and take that exam. But we don't want it to be a barrier.
0: Those are excellent points. Thank you, Mr. Bates, uh, Vice Chair All
3: right, I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, and, and I, Dr. Wyoming, this is a great presentation. I'm reminded of the fact that as a data presentation, um, we, data is quantitative and qualitative. So I appreciate you putting in the, um, uh, more of the qualitative measures around IB. I think it helps the community and as well as us understand what the IB program is. Um, I would suggest, given the, the projects, maybe even putting some samples, which I think is one of the considerations, um, I think that might help bring the – since some of us might not be able to get to those or our kids are not there yet. Um It'd be great to see what they're doing, so, because you're right. there's some very exciting projects. Um, so this might uh, to Dr. Newton's point, this might be a question for uh, Mr. Carry, Mr. interest. for the um, IB diploma uh, recruiting for the IB diploma track, um, is there any recruitment or that's done, or how is that message to students so they understand it? And then the second part is is what kind of support do they have once they go into that? Because the reason why is I've heard from many people, the IB program at at Meridian. Is, is very difficult and it prepares them for college. In fact, some people say college is easy <laughs> compared to uh, Meridian's IB program. And I've heard kids who have transferred in from other IB programs and said that, that those are not really IB programs. This is an IB program in terms of the rigor. Um, so you've got a really strong program. I'm just curious about the recruitment and the, and the support, both for Mr. Carey and Mr. Srentis level.
9: Yeah, sure, I can start. I, I don't know that I'd necessarily call it recruitment as much as uh, a plethora of resources that are available. Uh, so, anyone who's interested has, you know, our, our Mr. Singer now, who replaced our longtime uh, IB coordinator, uh, and then all of the coordinators. I'll let Rob talk about, you know, how that even starts at the middle school. Uh, yeah, and our numbers, as you've seen, just comparatively, when you do see those percentages, uh, they're incredibly high, right, for the number of uh, diploma candidates that we end up having actually get all the way through that process. Like Peter alluded to, even during. Know COVID and what they were going through, those numbers still stayed right online, you know, with our average. But um, Rob, do you want to talk about the middle school resources?
10: Yeah, our our resources honestly is the counseling department um, through course registration and, and transitioning to ninth grade. They give the whole layout of what their course registration and their and their um, focus into high school will look like. So sixth and seventh, we don't start that conversation. We start them when they get into eighth grade um, to kind of look look ahead to high school. So I would say our counseling department they're amazing they they kind of dig into that with kids
0: and, I, and i'll just say as, as a mom of someone who who just graduated with the ib diploma i think there is a lot of support um because and especially i think mr singer coming on board um is going to i think be even uh, even a building from strength to strength even be a great shot in the armor i think for the program but i know that my son always felt supported and that there were you know he had different advisors and things always working with him so i felt like it was and the Information is presented to the parents. I, I feel like there is really that support out there. Miss um, Silverman. You have will, question? Oh, yes, jo- please Just Mr. jump right Carey.
10: back in. Um, so our choir teacher, Lauren Carpell has taken on the MYP specialist position as well So she has she's an added member of our IB team um, So her and Rory Dippold are our IB team and so um, Lauren will be running our our projects this year, too So, um, you know, she she knows the kids she has relationships with the kids and she can kind of lay out the program for them
4: And I I wouldn't forget the, and I I know Ms. Soloment's wanting to ask her question, I wouldn't
10: wouldn't forget about
4: the um, resource of time also. Um, And one of the things that we have in place that's different than a lot of schools across the country is we have extra time built into the schedule to support kids who are struggling or who may need an extra bit of push. So as we differentiate and diversify our community of learners that are taking the most rigorous coursework that we have. It's not a sink or swim proposition either. It's, we're going we're gonna to have you go in here, but there's also going to be during, you know, husky time and, and during, you know, um, st- stable groups and things like that, there's going to be time and opportunity, Mustang Block, time and opportunity for kids to get extra support as well.
9: Yeah. And just one last piece to add on to that. In terms of time, we've actually embedded the personal project into our stable time. Uh, which is not something that's commonly done. So we've really embedded into the school day and what we do, IB, DP, and just time for them to get everything done.
0: Mm. That's right. And I'll just end it by saying, I know that my son got more than a few emails from different teachers and advisors that he was (laughs) getting close to the deadline on some of these things. So there definitely is a lot of support and and, uh, definitely teachers checking in on our IB diploma candidates, Ms. Silverman.
7: It's actually a good follow-up to uh, Dr. Gould's question. Um, I guess, you know, um, being the mother of elementary kids, um, is there anything that the elementary students should be thinking about, being aware of if they want to enter the IB program? Um, You know, how do they, you know, I guess it's kind of along that recruitment question, but just kind of what should they be thinking about, you know, in in the younger grades?
10: Well, I just want to clarify that the IB, every student's in the IB program. Um, that's, that's part of the, the PYP and, and, and the middle years program, as well as, and then they decide in their junior year whether they're gonna go for the
3: diploma
6: or not. So right now every student in Falls Church is an IB student. You know, right now it's just having those conversations with them about, you know, the learner profiles, uh, maybe talking with them about what unit of study they're on. Um, right now we're doing where we are in place and time Um, So talking to them about that, like, what are they doing in their classrooms? And then Mrs. Cheka, uh, the primary years uh, coordinator, uh, does a good job sending home information with families. So, you know, keep checking out the Danny folders.
7: Love the Danny and stripes folder. I always have to remember the name of the mascot.
1: And I would just, um, I think that's one of the most special things about this division, is the fact that every student is an IB student, the fact that we're looking at um, JTPC. I mean, that's amazing. And it's really about the opportunity. It's about engaging in their learning because an engaged learner is really a child who's gonna wanna go after the IB courses um, and the diploma later on. So right now it's really about being an engaged learner, enjoying school, enjoying learning so that they'll wanna stay in it for the long haul. Um, So it's about opportunity in elementary. Opportunity, engagement, and talking about their learning. So keep asking questions. Great, thank you. Yes, Vice should go.
3: Um for the I think the third grade presentation. Is that not considered? I know the fifth grade and the, and the eighth grade presentation is that not considered a presentation for the IB program because it seems very similar in terms of how much time they spend on it. The, the teaching of the parents and things like that.
1: So you can jump in. But my understanding is it's considered the end of PYP evaluation.
0: Um, I will jump in, Miss Silverman. You talked about the IB diploma. I will say that um, the one piece, and this comes in at, at Mr. Carey's level at MEH, is that, um, and feel free to jump in, Dr. Noon, If I have this wrong, but my understanding is that students who are at grade level math um, can't pursue the I would need to catch up on math to pursue the IB diploma. So if they if they are coming in as a sixth grader at sixth grade math, that and actually we're we're Talking with our, our seventh grader right now about this, that they would have to take a summer course to catch up, to jump up, in order to have. Is that right? The, who wants to take that, Mr. <laughs> <Sir laughs> Carey? I'm looking
4: around. There
10: are avenues, um, and there are, absolutely we, are avenues. <laughs> so we just want to make there sure are, it's there so are multiple so uh, avenues, <laughs> and we don't want the community to feel like that they are stuck in one avenue. Um, there are multiple avenues to get there, and so I would say reach out to Jen Feston and Sarah Leahy, and they can lay it all out um but i do not want people to feel like there is a barrier there 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 there's absolutely oh no and and i'm sorry i did not
0: mean to imply there was because i I just bring it up because we're dealing my son is a seventh grader and so and the counselor has been very helpful about and we've had those conversations because his two older brothers are doing one did it and one is currently doing ib diploma and so we've had those conversations this is really what you want to pursue and if you do let's talk to your counselor and figure out like what we need to do math wise so i didn't mean to imply that there was um but just that is something i think that the community, you know, should always be aware of and and something to talk about your student with and and the counselors can be really helpful. Okay. And then I just had two quick questions to close this section out. Um, On slide seven where it talks about further development, uh, I do think the communication about um, grading and how for that continues to be, I know that was one of the things I think our parents still sometimes struggle with because it's not this type of grading system they were brought up on. So I think that is, you know, we still need to, I think, continue. I'm, I'm looking at you, but I don't mean to, <laughs> to say this is yours, but I think, I guess I should be looking at Dr. Noonan, but um, just continuing to plug away at that communication piece to make sure our, our teachers really understand how, I mean, I'm sorry, our parents understand yep. how the grading works. And then I did want to jump to slide 10. Um, this is where we talked about that graduating class um, and the IB diploma. So I, um, that number, so the number 57, was that the, with the class of 2022? Yes. Okay. So that number is, I think, lower than at one point we thought, right? It
4: it was. I think what we were looking at was the group behind, um, so you'll see that 75 number coming up. Oh, okay. So.
0: Okay. Um, so does it seem that we do have, um, and this would be understandable, does it seem that we do have juniors who are jump in but then may not? finish because of the rigor of it all? We do, yes. Okay. And
4: that's the difference between the candidate number and the recipient number is you you either didn't finish it or you didn't score well enough on the external assessments to be awarded the diploma.
2: Okay,
4: That's okay. the other part of it is you have to score certain scores externally okay. to receive the diploma. And kids don't find out whether they've received the diploma until the following year okay. after they graduate, oh, okay. by okay. the way. I um, so for example, we invite kids back at the start of their freshman year That's to receive right. their uh, in college to receive their IV diplomas.
0: Okay. That might be over the years an interesting number to see um, you know to yep. I'm sure you're probably tracking it, but just to see how many of those you know we can see to completion sure. um, that so there's not such a big drop off um, from that junior to senior year but um, but I understand it is a very rigorous um, curriculum so I, and I understand your point there I just wanted to to point that out because I, w- I was surprised i thought we had more than 57 and, and 57
4: so. is the largest we. oh ever, yeah. We've
0: had. <laughs> to say yeah Yeah, yeah that, so. <laughs> of course it's something to be very proud of of course i will say that
6: if memory serves me correctly i think we had four students who didn't complete the last year okay so Which it's a is little not, bigger this year but but just remember the pandemic really right oh I mean, yeah no this is definitely and so i mean having 46 i think is a, is a really good number. right
0: no definitely definitely no, this is all great news, and of course, you know, our, our, when we ask questions, we're not trying to poke holes or just curious oh, no. and trying to learn more. That's no, so, good. We, so we like is, questions. So this is all good news, and, and we're comp- very, very proud of our school system and how we just passed that assessment with flying colors. So I, to close this out, does anyone else, yes, Dr. Dimick.
8: I just want to chime in there, because um, yes, the IB is rigorous, but also when students are in 11th grade and looking at their course options and thinking about their futures, they may choose to not do the IB diploma, not because of the rigor of it, just because of their interests. Right. Maybe they're really tired of doing a language, and they're a STEM kid, and they want to add in another That's year right. of science or add in something else. And we have so many wonderful um, elective classes, from you know psychology and economics to you know dis- design, and and so there, are, there are there are so many options that it's it's sometimes hard to do the diploma and do everything else you want.
0: No, that's, a, that's an excellent point because we're, we we're going through that with our junior and science and, yeah, and trying to fit it all in is hard if, you know, if you're on the D- IB diploma track. I think that's an excellent point, Dr. Dimmick. Thank you. Anything else? Yes, Ms. Tice.
11: I did have one uh, more question. Well, we uh, kind of along that point of, of other interests pointing you in a different direction with the, the CP development that's coming. Um, I know that would be a great option for kids who have interests in a different direction. Um, is that something, I, am I remembering correctly that that was tied to the Sustainability Academy?
4: It is, yeah, th- partially. So there'll be there'll be uh, multiple avenues to hit the CP program. Um, and it is a college track also, just right. by the way. It's just more career focused or career related. Um, but yes, the Sustainability Program will fall into that as well. So kids that so complete you- the Sustainability Academy we'll get the CP Are one. there are
11: different kind like different topics for the CP like would you get a CP in one topic versus another and if so how many will
4: we? I'm not exactly sure how that comes out
9: I'm not sure about there's different career tracks there's there's a they'll choose a focus area uh, I'm not sure, I'd have to get more information on the actual diploma yeah. itself Though. do
11: we have a sense can, of how many tracks will we'll be offering or will that just kind of evolve it, as we it
4: will probably evolve um, with we'll see based on student interest most likely. Thanks.
0: Anyone else? Okay. Thank you for this uh, first part of the presentation it was excellent. And uh, as I said, again, congratulations for flying, passing with flying
6: colors on that
0: assessment from IB. And I'll turn it back over to you, Dr. I'm excited
6: the excitement of our IB. So uh, I think it's, I think it's crucial that we, we, you know, we're an IB district and we need to focus on that data as one of our benchmarks that we hold up high Um, moving on to another of our benchmarks our standardized assessments and so um, we there are state uh, there are state requirements for assessments that students need to participate uh, in and is vary by age a little bit Um, but we're gonna look at three tonight three of the the major ones there's the Virginia assessment program there's WIDA uh, which is the assessment for our EL students and then there's the PALS which is for our younger students um, I'll explain each of them as we go through. Let's start with the purpose of the Virginia assessment, and it's twofold. Um, it's federal and state accountability or, or accreditation. we've heard that word tonight. Um, there is also a graduation requirement, so students need five verified credits. Um, as a reminder, a verified credit is uh, passing the course and then passing the associated SOL. So that's how you would verify a credit. Um, I also wanted to remind you that the uh, v- number of verified credits that we had, even a couple years ago, has changed. So students only need five now. Even if they're getting an advanced diploma, they still only need the f- five verified requ- uh five verified credits. I say that five times fast. Um, so. Um, our total number of Sol's that, that students are taking is actually dropping because if you think we used to need eight for those getting the advanced, now it's only five it's just you know logical that the number is going to drop um, so just keep that in mind as we talk a little bit um, as we go along um, the one other piece that I wanted to mention is that through uh, our program we really want to support students to finish three verified credits before the end of ninth grade. So we're looking at having them be done with math, history, and science by the time they finish ninth grade. And then they'll pick up the reading and the writing in 11th grade. Um, But the advantage to that is just just one one less thing they have to worry about. Um, So that's kind of how we have it set up um, in our district. Um, So let's quickly talk about accreditation. Uh, We've already talked about that's kind of a low bar. Um, But on the bright side, we are fully accredited again. Um, and we're going to share some accreditation charts that indicate that we have made some gains related to gap groups. Um, So in the past we have had some um, concerns there but we're going to show you how how we're kind of moving forward Uh, and the important thing to realize that a lot of this happened during the pandemic so you'll get to see a comparison almost before pandemic and after pandemic because they they waived accreditation for a couple years during pandemic. So if we flip over to the first one um, you'll see this is Mount Daniel, and, and the green is good. So if you're at or above standards, that's what that green means. So Mount Daniel's maintained green from 2019-2020 till this accreditation, which is 2022 and 2023. And I'm not going to go through all those little little ones, uh, but you could take my word for them. There are different gap groups and things that they they needed to get, and we hit them all. Uh, same thing with Oak Street, uh, which is the next slide. Green is good. So you see a lot of green on there. When we move on to Mary uh, Mary Ellen Henderson, you'll see on the first one, which was 2019 2020, there was a yellow uh, and it was for gap group English. Um, so that was an area of weakness that we had. Um, still two is not bad. It still means we're fully accredited and all that. You can have one in yellow, that's okay. But then if you look at 2223, it's all green. So again, we've closed that gap group down a little bit. And finally, uh, for Meridian, same idea. This one uh, before we had a yellow uh, in math. Um, we closed it down now 2022 2023. It's all green. Um, the reason we share this is to visually show you that we that we were pre demic We wanted to show you pre-pandemic and now and that we were able to kind of even during the pandemic close down some of those gap groups issues that we had. Um, and again, accreditation, we, we say it's a low bar, but at the same point it is a data point and the fact that we've been able to close that gap um, is is a good thing for us. Um, So again, we wanted to share that with you, Um, and these just came out last week. Uh, If you're interested, there's the, on the back, um, the back page has a link to the school quality index page, and you can look at those uh, more in depth um, if you'd like. Moving on to the Virginia Assessment Program, which most people know is, or think, is the SOL, and it is, but there's also a couple other pieces to this. Um, that I wanted to make sure everyone was aware of. So, of course, there's the SOL exams, the pass rate on that, and it, it's an adjusted pass rate, and there are little variables that get tweaked on it to, to give us our final grade, our final pass rate. There's also the Virginia Growth Assessment, and if you remember last year, um, that was new, and so we started it in the fall. Um, we took a growth assessment in the fall, and then we took it again in the spring, and it was supposed to measure growth. So, if a student failed their SOL, so there was about I'm just going to get the ballpark about 10% of our students failed in SOL um, in grades three through eight. Then they look at the state looks at your growth assessment. And so if the student has thrown shown significant uh, enough growth, then it counts as a pass. So that goes to the pass rate. Um, there's a chart. If you really want the chart, we'll have it. The chart's not good this year because they changed it to a new chart, which we haven't gotten yet, but you will, we will get it shortly. Um, but I did want to make you aware that that is, that does play into our pass rate. And then, finally, the third thing that's included is our students who take the VAP. The VAP is for those students with um, cognitive impairments, so there is a very rigid um, requirement for who can take those tests. We do not, that end for us is very small, um, so it doesn't impact us a whole lot. But I think when we have a discussion about what this pass rate means, we need to make sure we're, you know, we're, we're dotting, all our, dotting our I's and crossing our T's and realize that that is part of that, of that metric. So let's take a look um, at our some of our pass rates and some other data charts that we pulled together for you. Um, the first one is our pass rate. Um, and so we have the number, um, we, we have our number versus the state. Um, you can see they're very high. I'm sure you've all seen this before. Um, but it, it these are very good scores. Um, as Dr. Nunez mentioned, they're, they're the tops in the state for the most part. Um, so we're, we're, we did a great job, all things considered, with a pandemic you know r- wrapping up we wanted to give you some comparison data so our first comparison is with ourself um, we think it's important to look at ourselves as a measuring stick and so what we've included here is that uh, our 2018-19 which was the pre-pandemic um, the 2021 which again we, we use that data with caution we talked a lot about that last year but again uh, it is another data point and then this year's um, what I did for you on the end is we kind, I kind of gave you a number comparison between 2018-2019 and um, last year. So for example, for math, you know, we have 87 percent this year. We were 91 in 2018, so that's a minus four. But we were 84 percent last year, so it's a, it's a plus three. So we've made progress. We're getting close, I think, to where our pre-pandemic level was. So um, we're, we're ballpark. I wouldn't say we're 100 percent there yet, but we're getting close. Uh, and reading, we're actually above, um, which I think is great, all things considered. Um, and we'll talk more about reading um, with our PALS data and, and why that's an important metric there. So, those are our scores and the comparisons to ourself longitudinally.
0: Dr. Wallman, I know we have questions at yep. the end,
6: but Please.
0: the VDOE adjusted rate, is that because they're taking the growth into consideration? The growth in the VAP. Okay. In the VAP.
6: Okay. Yeah. Thank so, you. I mean, if you took the, 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 the raw data, it doesn't match up exactly. Um, but I can tell you around here when scores were coming in, we were looking at the raw data and we were kind of figuring it was it's, it's similar to this, but it's not exact. So I just, that's why I put that in there. I just want us to be aware of what we're talking about for ac- for accuracy sake. Okay. Uh, state longitudinal. Um, you know, again, we, we use it's just another data point we're comparing against the state. Um, we continue to have a wide gap between our scores and the state. And for me, the most interesting thing here is if you look at the um, plus plus um, data for twenty one, twenty two, the gap is actually open to 19 plus for every area, um, which is the highest in three years. I mean, we're 24 um, percent we're plus 24 for for writing. I mean, there's some really good, really good stuff in here. Um, so I, I think um, I, I think it's a very good, good, good thing that although we're again comparing us to say we we we're we're really doing well <laughs> I mean I'm not asked to say it but I will say just a comment is very
0: it sort of breaks my heart that state score yeah. from 2020 to 2021
6: absolutely that's really devastating a- absolutely yeah, yeah sorry <laughs> no no all right So the next one, uh, the next data set we came with, um, our third comparison is against uh, districts about our size. And so what I did is I gave you um, we're around 2500. So we looked at at districts that were around our size. So the first one was 2596. The second one was 2088. Third one was 2701. So they're all ballpark to where we are. Um, And again, we we did very well in comparison. uh, um, our size two, the, the district we looked at, they had a very strong scores as well, um, but again we were a little higher in, in each area. Um, and then um, size four for reading and math did very well, um, and but again we, we were still still a little higher than all of them. So this kind of gives you an idea of, of of how other districts are doing related to our size. The next one. Um, our our final comparison relates to our neighbors, um, and so these are a region Four, uh, other region Four districts um, that we compared against. Um, and again, these were a little stronger than the size um, group, except for that, that size two was pretty strong. Um, but you'll see we're, we're very strong against their comparison, their comparison with them there. Uh, our neighbors had strong scores and I think should be commended for their efforts, um, especially during the pandemic. But with that being said, um, we need to be thankful for our staff, parents and students for the dedication on this because our scores again, were, were really excellent. In the next few slides, we're going to review. Um, we're we're going to look at group data, so we're going to we're going to break it down into subgroups a little bit. I know that was a request you guys had, um, but I, I want to make sure that we have some caution here. Um, we're we're going to show both relative strengths and weaknesses. Um, but keep in mind that some of our gap groups are very small, and so we need to be aware of that. And so, for example, I, I put an example in the next one uh, for, for non statisticians. Um, so if we have 100 students and 50 of them pass, our fast pass rate would be 50 um, because of transience or for whatever reasons. Let's say we lose 20 of those students the following year and only 10 come back and we still have the 50 50 students pass the pass rate suddenly 56. So in, in essence, no more students have passed, but our pass rate goes up. So that's, the, that's why we have to be careful about these kind of comparisons. Um, and when we look at this kind of, due to when the schools do, they take a look at that. Um, they, they make sure if it's specific students or groups, if our numbers have shrunk a lot or if they've grown. Um, so we need to kind of keep that in mind when we take a look at some of these subgroups. So the first uh, group we're gonna look at is reading. Um, and we looked at the four groups Uh, four of our gap groups um, uh, and these are state categories. So the state categories we're looking at are black students with disabilities, English learners and economically disadvantaged. Um, If you look at the chart, the yellow is a dip from last year. Um, The dark green is up by 10 or 10 plus points and the light green is is up. So obviously it'd be up from one to nine. so one area obviously here we we have to worry about is our black category because it did dip Um, i will mention that um, our n has decreased in this black uh, in the black category over the last three years so that n is slowly coming down um so we we need to keep that into account uh, when we when we think about that but it is a group that we are targeting Um, as a side on that um we only got the the scores for them reported on the overall district report, not the individual school reports because the n was too small at any grade level. Um, So that kind of tells you how small that group kind of is. But again, still a concern, still a red flag. We're taking a look at it, seeing what we can do, what adjustments we can make. Um, I think the other ones are are actually excellent. I mean, you look at the reading is up 12 points uh, for students with disabilities from last year. Uh, English learners up plus 15 um, and I think those are all, all really good um, improvements
4: I, I was reminded after my remarks when I started the presentation this evening that we actually have 8.5 ESOL teachers um, not six so part of the reason that we're able to make some inroads is we, we have s- certainly shored up some staffing there um, and that, that's great news and uh, also with our students with disabilities
6: Moving on to writing, Um, so you'll notice this chart is missing um, a year, Uh, last year, and and as a reminder, uh, the state waived the writing, and instead you completed a performance-based assessment, which is more like a pass-fail type deal, Um, so we obviously didn't include those, Um, but um, we did pull the state data for this, and all of these subgroups are above the state numbers for, for writing, so we're feeling pretty good about that. Uh, again, work to do, but making, making progress. Mathematics. Um, I think really strong results. Um, all categories went up. Um, we, again, we have the light green, which is the, the, the up to 10, and the dark green is t- uh, above 10. Um, if you look at the English learners and the economically disadvantaged, they both went up 12 points, which is very strong. Um, so we're feeling pretty good about that. Um, and the other groups went up as well. So again, strong, strong growth work to do, but growth. Science, same thing. Very, I'm very proud of these scores because if you looked at some of the, the, the state averages on this um, in these subgroups, um, and I, I'll just give you an example of one, the EL pass rate was 20% for the state. Um, that's a really low number. Um, so when you look at 43 and we've gone up 17 points, that's that's a strong push for us. Um, I think a lot of it is because it's language based, heavily language based. And again, kids who missed the last two years because of pandemic didn't get to learn their English as strong as we, we would have liked. But again, look how strong that is up 17 points. That's that's pretty good. Um, again, all categories went up the black pass rate went up 23%, which is which is which is fabulous or 23 points. That's, that's fabulous. And then history Uh, again, you're missing that column. Same, same issue as the reading. We went with a performance based assessment, which is kind of a pass fail thing. Um, And we had very strong numbers there. Again, all of these numbers are above um, the state, the state um, average. So feeling pretty good about the progress we've made there. Um, So take this in tandem with the um, the stuff on accreditation. You'll see our gap groups. were starting to make some progress. Are we there yet? No, still work to go, but we're we're starting to close those gaps, and I think that's a good thing, um, something we can keep working on this year. So to wrap up the Virginia Assessment Program, uh, some highlights: um, we're fully accredited. It's always good to be accredited. Um, our composite scores are close to pre-pandemic, not quite there, but getting there, right about there. Um, our, we scored above the state average for Black students with disability, EL, and economically disadvantaged in all content areas. Um, Some strengths again, our overall pass rates are strong on 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 most comparisons. I mean, there's very few that were 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 not strong Um, growth of most gap groups um, in all contact areas. I think our reading scores are really strong. We're actually above the pass rate for pre pandemic. So that's that's to be commended. Um, There are new standards based IEP goals, um, which we feel are really helping with students with disabilities. So I think we think that's a strength for us. Um, Our MTSS and intervention programs are really catching students early. So again, I think that's another strength for us. So um, and then um, we have lots of access um, to resource for staff and students um, to help them um, during their educational career. here. So I think that's again another all these little things are adding up to to really supports that kids have in place. What about some opportunities for, for growth? And we already talked about the black subgroup, but there are a few other things that that were brought up. Um, we want to expand efforts to uh, an ex- executive functioning and social-emotional skills for some kids so we think that's a, that's a, an area we can look at um, increase increase inclusion of gap groups in acceleration and re- enrichment programs so that's maybe it's a, a data point we can start tracking and really look at and see how that's how that looks um, provide parent support and education programs it might be, you know, even if we look at IB, we can educate parents on a little bit more on that. There are other programs, too, that we can look at to support uh, and then provide resources to support ex- support extended learning at home. Um, and I can only speak for the, the gifted committee because I'm on that. We did post starting this week um, um, a new website or, or a link for parents to go to. And um there are things that families can do on their own. So, I mean, those are th- sort of things we're looking at. Um, so those are the sort of things we'll look at to kind of see if we can increase that and, and strengthen some of those. We have made some instructional um, enhancements based on the data that we looked at already. Um, so I, I think Dr. Noonan already mentioned this elementary, middle and high school math coaches. So there's one in every they there. They're across the board. They're in there to help with our math. Um, we had a very focused math PD for teachers, grades three through eight during in service week. It got rave reviews. Um, I, it was a hands on thing. I thought it was great. Um, I see some nodding principals down there, so they must have heard about it. So we're pretty excited about that. Um, the science of reading training for elementary um, teachers is, has just taken off and the teachers want it. So we're, we're trying to provide as much as we can. Um, we've added some progress monitoring tools for tiered support. Um, we are um, looking at um, uh, there are collaborative instructional planning at all levels now, so we've kind of team levels now complain at the same time for a big block of time. And that's something teachers have wanted for a long time. Um, and our, our, all our schools have managed to get that done this year. So that we, we feel like that's going to be a big win. Um, and then there's a, a specific, um, specially designed instructional matrix for students with um, disabilities. And then our secondary ESOL program is is now becoming content embedded. So those are all things that we're kind of making adjustments this year so that we can hopefully keep the needle going in the right direction. Um, We have a few others that were kind of bonus um, based on our um, ESSER money. And just as a reminder, the ESSER money is the Elementary and Secondary School Emergency Relief Act. That's a mouthful. Um, It was a competitive grant that we decided to to go ahead and and put, put our hats in. Um, And out of that, we've gotten a few uh, really nice programs. So we were able to expand our before school math club at Oak Street. Uh, I heard it was great. I didn't get to go to any. I I wish I would have have gotten my math better. Um, We expanded afternoon learning lounge uh, to include uh, 6th through 12th graders. Before that was just a um, high school thing. And now we've included 6th and 8th. I see some applause down there. Um, We're really excited about that. Um, We were able to use some funds to contact with Brainfuse, which is a tutor service provider. Um, And that I think is working in tandem with the learning lounge. Um, But I think there are other options that we can use to to access that. Um, We were able to add a 0.5 academic coordinator. Uh, We were able to add the math specialist position Oak Street. That was in part because of Esser funds. Um, We were able to purchase a bunch of software that targets specific math or literacy needs. Um, so, for example, one was uh, for reading fluency, something we didn't have. teacher said this would be really good, and we've got it, certain licenses for specific kids. So we're targeting specific needs on kids with some of this money. Uh, and then uh, we purchased literacy materials for preschool, and they were really excited to get those. Um, so those are a lot of things that we've already tweaked on instruction based on, on the, the numbers that we saw in the, in the, in the spring. There are a few supports that we put on here that we may need. Um, We may be coming to you with our hands out, Uh, but uh, our pandemic, just as a heads up, our pandemic funding is exhausted in 23, 24. So we'll need to take a quick look, uh, a really deep look at what's working. Um, And if it's something that we want to keep going, then we'll have to figure out how we're going to do that. And then um, SCCPS does not currently have a coordinator for science slash history. Uh, to support um, like we have in reading and math. So we do for reading and math. We don't for history and science. Um, We are keeping an eye down on Richmond because the history standards you may or may not know have been paused. um, And we're not sure when those are going to come out with the new governor. So we are trying to keep an an eye on on how that's going to look down there. Um, And so we we may need to help uh, support whatever comes out of there. so that is the end of that section but we'll we're going to keep going unless you want to stop now why don't we just keep going we'll get through okay. the, the numbers and then yeah. we'll we'll have a good break um, for our next section i want to move on to the WIDA access um data and i don't know if you all of you know but the WIDA access is an assessment given annually to students in k to 12 to help school school districts monitor um, the english language development of students identified as el's and support their instructions instruction to best meet their needs and language growth. Um, Again, as I said, they're assessed yearly and they exit when they get a 4.4 overall score, which you guys probably doesn't mean anything doesn't mean anything to me. But when you look at the numbers, that's that moves them out. Um, Just as an FYI, though, that for the four years following the time they are exited from the program, they are monitored. Uh, So you do keep monitoring them and they can actually still use accommodations on assessments for the first two years out. So it's not like we're kind of like got a 4.4 you're out um, we, we kind of still keep things in place to make sure um, that they can they are successful so the next slide that we're showing you and I don't know if we ever showed you this slide before but this is the WIDA exit rates and proficiency growth um, so what we're showing you here is the how many students have exited um, in a year and then the growth the number of students who showed growth Um, And so if you look at it, uh, the Mary Ellen and Meridian are above pandemic levels already. So um, I mean, I think that's amazing that we had 67 percent show growth at Mary Ellen and 78 percent show growth at um, Meridian. That's both above growth levels back in 2018, 2019. So you can tell the instructional uh, shifts um, that you guys supported and we've gotten in place have shown have shown dividends. I mean, look, at I mean, you can just see how much um, how that growth has happened. Um, Oak Street is back to pre pandemic levels and Mount Daniels has made progress from last year. So I think it's a pretty good story um, that we that we are making in progress. Remember, um, when you think about the two elementary schools, that what the growth milestones that happen at elementary school, the reading and the math and we'll talk again about this about palace. I have a chart, a nice chart to show you. Um, remember that they're they're kind of backloaded in early elementary. So that's why it's taking, I think, a little longer for them to catch up there. Um, but again, something we're keeping an eye on and we're showing progress, which I think is a really good thing. Um, so I thought this was a great chart. And, and I thank Jen Santiago for pulling this together for me. So um, um, so you guys can have a look at that. Um, some of the highlights of our Weeda data um, and, and some of this is, is anecdotal, but eight of our 13 um, English learners, the the LTELs, they're long-term English learners, and those are ELs who have been in the program for six or more years and have not exited the program. So these are kind of, they're in there. Um, Made growth for the first time in several years, and one even exited the program with more than one full year's growth last year. So we saw, again, a lot of progress last year with with even students who have been in there a long time. Um, Oak Street sent just one English learner to middle school. So that means everyone exited out except for one. Um, So we're expecting great things from the middle school with uh, that low caseload. Just kidding, Rob. Uh, No, no, no. (laughs) it's not. Several students who arrived in SCCPS um, as their first time in the US public schools with beginning level English fluency in sixth grade passed biology after just four years in the ESOL program. Um, I I think that's a great number. creative and an integrated program structure at the middle school and high school meeting students need deeply and across content that's the shift I think and so if you look at some of these growths in our secondary program that might be one of the tickets I mean I think there are many tickets but I think that's one of them
4: can, uh, I, can I just talk about that for a second because it is something that we want to try to continue with George Mason University and in case um, there's anyone out there that doesn't know what it means to have an integrated program structure what that means is that our content teachers um, went back and got their ESOL endorsements and so now um, students who are in ESOL go into a classroom um, with a teacher who's both endorsed in for example mathematics and ESOL uh, programming so they're getting both services at the same time because ultimately what we want to do with the ESOL program is we want to teach uh, English for the content and that's sort of how we're how we're designed um, and that just sort of strengthened that opportunity for us so I just wanted to make sure everybody knew that that's what that was thank you
6: uh, and the last bullet was to continue and surpass state um, expectations for growth and exit rate so again we're we're doing a lot of good things there are some opportunities for growth um, we're slowly the transition to a content embedded program model at the elementary school with um, sheltered English language development for our highest needs students. So we're, we're looking at changing the model down there a little bit. Uh, and then again, engage um, t- with George Mason University for another ESOL cohort to have more duly certified staff meeting students needs holistically. Um, we have a few instructional shifts, um, and I think if you talk to Jen, the elevation one would be one that she's really excited about. So elevation is a data and training platform. Um, we were able to get that with our ESS2 money. Uh, It does two things. One is a platform so teachers can go there for all of their, basically all the EL students are in there and they can pull all their data through that. Um, But more importantly, once you have that data, you can use the the platform to then help um, target instructions for strengths and weaknesses for the student. So it actually helps with curricular development for for specific students. So she's really excited about that. And as part of that, we also have a training platform. They're kind of short mini YouTube videos, 15, 20 minutes. Um, that we can share with staff, not only our ESOL staff, but all of our staff. Um, and I think, Rebecca, you were in on one of those presentations and you were like, hey, we got to use this for special ed too. Um, so we're really excited about this, this program as well. And we're trying to get it fully online. We're partially online right now. We're trying to get everything fully done. Um, so that's one that we're very excited about. And then, of course, the model shifts at middle school and high school um, using the, usual, the 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 dually certified teachers. Um, the supports we may need um, continued advocacy for English learners we're very grateful what you've done and we just want to continue to keep it on your radar um, and then the two-year contract for elevation uh, will end when COVID f- funds end and so if, if it's working well we'll want to have a discussion uh, because that's um, an expensive program but you know if it's worth it we'll, we'll, we have to figure out a way to, to keep it all right, moving on to our last uh, state-required assessment that we're going to talk about. This is PALS, the Phonological Awareness Literacy Screening, uh, and I believe they're changing their name, so I'll confuse you next year when we have this presentation because I'll come up with a totally different thing than PALS. Um, I really wanted to include this first slide. Um, uh, the first uh, the first thing is that 100% of our students are screened, so it's not. this is everybody has it from K to 2, so we're finally looking into data point. Here's our elementary data point shout-out. Um, But I wanted to share the chart with you. And what the chart is showing you is um, the green lines kind of represent, and there's some blue on the bottom if you look really closely, show where the, the, the developmental milestones are in reading. And if you look down at K and 1, you can see the highest bars are there. So that just shows you that's where the biggest growth happens for kids when they're learning to read. So when you start thinking about kids when they miss preschool, because for COVID it was shut down or people couldn't get their kids there or they're, you know, doing a a virtual thing. And preschool is a very hands on thing. Or you look at, you know, kids who are in second or third grade, you know, they've they've missed their some of their major milestones. So we're playing kind of a catch up game um, when you look at this kind of a chart. Um, The good news is um, when we go to the next slide, we actually are really recouping well. Um, so have we hit the 2019 level not really we're not there yet we're about two percentage points away but from 18% last year down to 12.6 this year it's again good growth all things considered I think the next slide is even more telling Um, so K is better than last year but still a ways to go before reaching our 2019 level but again remember some of these students didn't have access to preschool programs so they didn't have it Um, Number one, we're back near 2019 level. So in 2019 in first grade, uh, 10.9%. These are kids scoring at benchmark or below. So that's the number we're looking at. We want that to be as low as possible. Um, 10.1% is where we are now. The next one to me is just uh, amazing. And it just, I think, shows the work of our staff. So back in 2019, we were at 26.8%. We're at 16.5% now. So it's kind of like a, an arrow where we're decreasing what we have so these three charts are kind of all over the place or these all three three years are all over the place the bottom line is i think we're going in the right direction with our young kids Um, i know we're putting a lot of effort into our our reading programs um, and we have uh and who's is doing a great job with um our 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 coaching and helping out there and and really pushing the 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 new letters training Uh, so again we're making a lot of progress um in reading and, and and pulling that all things considered, um, there are a couple standardized tests. I just want to throw out these are these are not really required, but students have the opportunity to take them. Um, we just wanted to share a few things. Um, so one is the National French um, Contest, and I will tell you they've got a really cool logo. That's that's got to be up there as far as logos. Um, but we had uh, we didn't have any uh, platinum awards, but we had one gold award, which is 95th percentile of, of students who took it. Um, we had four who had silver award, which is 94 to 85% of, of students who took it. We had bronze awards. We had seven, uh, which is 84th to 75th percentile. And then uh, and uh, there are, I don't know. I don't speak French very well, even though I took it. Uh, I think it's called uh, mention Donner award. Uh, we had 24 students fall in that range. So 50th to 74th, we had 69 students participate. So it's a pretty good number that. That scored pretty well on this um, external um, contest. Uh, The next one we'll mention, and I wish I had more data for you here, we're still waiting for the state. Um, They usually release it sometime around now. They have like a comparison data track for PSAT, SAT, ACT, and AP. Uh, But we have heard that um, we had college board announced that we had three national African American recognition awards, and we had seven national Hispanic recognition awards. So I think those are really good. Um, awards for us to receive our students to receive I didn't receive them but they did a great job to get them Um, national Spanish exam Um, we had a a large number of students receive this and I'm not going to read through each one level one through level six they all took the test and uh, we had different students scoring uh, and, and receiving honors on that so again another good shout out to those students that's a lot of data So why don't we take a break and what questions do you have for us?
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Wallerman, who would like to kick us off? Yes, Ms. Tice.
11: I have a couple questions for different categories, but I'll start just the most recent topic with the PALS chart. I was just looking um, back at slide 54, where we're in the K-12 below benchmark rates, and I'm just wishing that we had that twenty twenty data because I was curious what if you look at the same cohort of kids and how their mm-hmm. benchmarks are going um you know those those second graders who took it last year they were you know the pandemic hit at the end of their kindergarten year right so then they were seventeen and a half percent and still you know bit um down down to sixteen point five percent um but it's not quite the same story mm-hmm. as you know, I'm. I'm curious at what point we can track like the cohorts of kids and what and if the if that cohort is recovering from covid versus
6: every grade. We could probably next year because we'll have three years of consecutive data and 2020 it wasn't it wasn't given. Right. Um, so if you remember, we had that. So we have gaps in data and that's the problem with a lot of this data is we have gaps. Um, so. Um, We're we're kind of doing two kinds of comparison. We're looking at last year's to see where we've kind of recovered from last year. And then we're looking back to almost pre-pandemic and comparing to that. And those are the kind of options we have right now. Right. I think next year we'll be able to then give you that three years of data and you can see those kind of cohort tracking uh, right. as we go along. That
11: will be really interesting when we yep. when we look at, at another way of pandemic recovery. Totally um, agree. This is, this is great and thank you. And I appreciate, I am not a data person, so I really appreciate you presenting it in a way that is like, very digestible <laughs> uh, for somebody who's not a super data nerd. I had questions about ESOL. I don't know if anybody has other pals questions. Or if I should just move on to you you can just go okay. Um, I just when we I'm so fascinated by the content embedded approach, which I know is a relatively new approach, and I'm I'm starting to understand it, and I think it's exciting and makes sense in a lot of ways. But I have a couple questions about it. I'm wondering uh, one if we've been able to check back in with the five or six did we have five or six at um, Henderson last year who were doing it, and just kind of if we were able to directly ask them. How it's going if it if they feel successful if if it was worth all that if it's worth the extra effort or if they feel like they're able to really make the impact that we're they are hoping and we're hoping they can do we've we been able to touch base with
4: we've got dr santiago on so um i'll, I'll let her answer that question since she works so closely
2: hi everyone um, thank you for that question it's a great opportunity to share the incredible things that the middle school team has been doing um, we did loop back with them mid-year and towards the end of last year to check in and see how they were doing, um, if what kind of supports they needed and what kind of supports they felt that the um, their team and students needed, and uh, they're an incredible group of educators, as you all know, um, and they were really passionate about continuing the work the way it was being um, done and. What was really great about the team was they had identified gaps in where the instruction was and were really instrumental in building this year's master schedule to meet student needs and to make sure that their classes were well supported, that the English learners because now they knew them all very well, that they were being placed appropriately in the right classes. They were receiving all the supports, um, the accommodations, differentiation um, that they needed inside their classrooms. And it's reaped incredible rewards, not only in seeing the growth in in the WIDA assessments, but seeing that we had, um, that we have I believe we had thirteen uh long term English learners at the middle school, and nine of them who have not made growth in many years made growth and one of them exited this past year and it's all it's it's all because of the level of support that that team is able to give through the content areas in addition to specific specific English language development classes in addition to like content to embedded support. So it's been really incredible. And the team has been really positive about how it's worked and making sure that as we grow, um, it's even better. And that's actually, Valerie and I are here this week to, to present to the WIDA conference about the incredible program that the middle school team is doing. We're very proud of them.
11: Thank you, I appreciate that. And I wholeheartedly second that they're really exceptional exceptional educators uh i happen to know a handful of them pretty pretty well they're fantastic um so I, I i totally believe that i'm curious uh when we when we are moving to that model how that changes um case management and who and who kind of monitors that or takes over that when there aren't as many you know 100 percent ell teachers and they're they're being kind of um divvied up a little bit
2: that's a great question they have um, they worked on that together as a team Um, so we know that Karina Avila is full-time ESOL and then the rest of the ESOL the rest of the ESOL staffing is spread across several teachers so it is proportional toward to um, to the person's uh, engagement in the ESOL program but also it's based on they've really divided the team um, across great grade team so they can support each team with their with English learners on their team so they wanted to make sure more so than that it's proportionally spread out across people's um, access and work inside the ESOL program but they were more concerned that making sure that the people who were the case manager for the students were the teachers who saw those students most frequently so they've really gone beyond just thinking about Um, how many students each one of them has and is thinking more about we want to make sure that I'm case managing the students that I actually teach and I'm not case managing students that I don't come across with. So one of the ways they've balanced that is that for our, our exit students that we monitor, we don't provide active services to exit students. But we do check in with their content teachers just to make sure like everything's going okay making sure that they know what kind of accommodations they can still receive on their assessments and the exit monitoring really that um that caseload managership is more heavily on karina's caseload and less on the rest of the teachers
11: so these staff as we've as we've said are amazing but are they do they have fewer preps do they get paid more I mean this is it's a that's a massive lift to think that some of them are not just um, providing these additional services but then also serving as a as a case manager to you know a handful of, of students that's a pretty it's a pretty heavy lift what how are we supporting them with that all those added duties
2: so It does sound like it's a heavy lift, but when we actually break it down on how many English learners we have at Henderson, we only have 20 English learners at Henderson that are receiving active services. So across the five, six teachers, it's at a most of five students per per teacher and the level of work for like the caseload managership is they're writing one ESOL plan at the beginning of the school year and talking to the other content teachers who they're already talking to in their team meetings, and then just checking in with the with the um, exit students with their teachers, which they're already doing on their grade level teams. So it does sound like it's, a, it's more work, but in the realm of maybe in comparison to like a special ed case manager, the, the idea of case managership inside ESOL is different it's not as extensive of of that like so it's pretty manageable they have the same number of preps but because we're embedding english learners inside their content areas they're just differentiating within their content areas which they would do for any other student that that need a differentiation as well
0: got it thank you so much sure all right hold on dr santiago we'll see if there's any okay. other esil questions I am here. Uh, well, I have one. Um, can you remind me, um, so uh, English language learners, they t- are taking the SOLs,
5: and sure.
0: it's there's no different standard for them, even though English is not their first language, right?
2: Correct. There are a couple accommodations that, um, well, there's a lot of accommodations students can receive in order to take the SOLs. Um, The the not so great side of it is uh, if we had an English learner who arrived maybe three days before the math SOL, regardless of their level of English fluency or time inside that math class, they need to sit for that math SOL, same with the science SOL and other content areas. So, we could have a student who's brand new to the country, brand new to English, and has not taken any of that content, but Virginia requires them to sit for that SOL regardless. So, it's not awesome. Um, the event, they can essentially attempt five questions, and if they struggle through the five questions, we can shut the test down for them. Um, and for reading, they'll get a one time exemption within their first 12 months of arriving in the school. So, again, if a student arrived the day before the reading SOL, that would be their one time exemption, and they would have to take the reading SOL the following school year. Um, and they get a one time social studies exemption that they can use in fourth grade or in eighth or seventh grade here.
0: Well, it's, it still seems unfair, and it can, to me, it would seem like it would be very disheartening for a, a student who already is probably shell shocked coming into the country. And having to sit for a test in a foreign language, has there been any? Um, I feel like I remember reading about this that there might have been some lobbying um, or something that we've been trying to do around this.
2: So, um, since my since 15 years in ESOL, I've been uh, we've been advocating for a change in how we how we. Uh, Have English learners engage in SOLs I'll say Uh, but we did last year I believe in the in our lobbying package we were um, I think Fairfax County and some other larger divisions in region four have also added in um, comment and like stronger advocacy to the state to say that something something needs to be done there needs to be an alternative pathway or at least some more exemptions or time in country before we're we're making students sit for I mean, if you just think about the eighth grade science SOL, it's a three-year science SOL, and kids need to take it if they arrive two days before the test.
0: Okay, thank you. Well, we'll definitely, when we go through our legislative package again this year, we'll make sure that that's in there and try to, you know, beef it up as much as possible. So, Thank Thank you. Any other uh, questions related to ESO? You can come back around, but I just thought as long as we have her on the screen, if there's any other Useful questions. Okay, all right. Thank you so much, Dr. Santiago. But don't go because I'm sure we'll we'll come back to you at some point. Um, Does anyone have any other questions on this section? I'm sure you all have lots of questions. (laughs) Vice
3: Chair Gould, I'll I'll go with you. I just have five. (laughs) Uh, I wish I was kidding. Uh, First, uh, I would say that look, and I I obviously enjoy uh, data presentations, but I would say looking at all the data from this. one of the big takeaways and you mentioned this before is the the lack of significant drop in the uh in the the um the covet uh year and i think we're all waiting for that we're all holding our breath um and clearly that that you know there is uh, you know some kind of drop and that's expected but i think in comparison to not just state and district trends but everywhere um and i think that that you know i mean we're going to look down the, the the end of the table at the school leaders that are really you know, motivating the teachers to pull them together to stay focused on that. That is an an incredible task that I don't think that as much as we love the data and the charts, um, you know, it does not uh, it does not tell the whole story of probably the amount of hours, which is a more important chart and how much time those teachers and the school leaders spent um, pulling and motivating and keeping morale at a level that is really unique to Falls Church City. And I don't think we can. Ignore that. I don't think we'll ever know that. We'll never have a chart on that. So clearly to, to the, the leaders down at the end of the, 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 the table, um, high, high, high regards and respect for what you all were able to do with your with your staff. Um, the uh, I'd also say, Dr. Wilman I, I do appreciate your presentation in terms of the cohort based comparisons. Um, I, really, that helps us. I think we all know that we're job with trying to pull that out where you could. So I appreciate that effort. Um, The I would say from a suggestion standpoint, the SAT, PSAT, ACT data, given the trends and how that is used in comparisons, that is probably not going to be a worthwhile comparison. I know you said you might want to do that. Uh, I I would suggest, uh, you know, and I would turn to Dr. Dimick as well. That might not be a useful uh, metric. I I really appreciate all the other metrics that you've used, just given the trends away from those um, those data sets. the question I have about PALs data, uh, and I don't know what slide. I don't know if this is numbered. Um, I think it's which one, 54. 54. Um, the I, I'm, I'm hesitant to try to 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 read to interpret this, but I do want to think about um, the cohort-based comparison of the PALs data. I know we're looking at this from looking at you know. Second graders, for example, and we're looking at 2019, 21, 22 as a drop. But if we're looking at a comparison of the cohort. So for example, the kindergartners in 2019 at 5.5 percent, I think I'm reading this correctly, would be second graders in 2021. Um, And so the other comparison would be the kindergartners in, in 2019 or 2021 would be 2022 first graders. If we look at that, is that the right way to to interpret this? If we look at how the cohorts have moved over time and if so, for example, the first graders in 2021 at 17.5 are now at 16.5 in second grade. Is that a fair way to to look at this if we're looking at a cohort based comparison?
6: I think it's it's fair enough to say that, but I think there's some variables that we need to take into account. We would need to see how many kids have left the district and how many have come back in, so that might impact uh, how we make that comparison. But I can see how you would want to do. I, I think it comes back to yours, you wanting to do a cohort um, analysis, uh, and that's something I can look clo- closer at if you really want. Um, but what I would try to probably do then is to pull out um, pull out more specifically. If we can this is a way we can figure out which students are still here and which aren't. So the PALS data is interesting to look at when you look at it all together in that the, the PALS gives you um, a, a, a data for the beginning of the year and a, a point for the, the end of the year. Then they, they group it in cohort data and then they have non-cohort data. And so when you look at that, it can break it down by how many kids are in that cohort data set and how many are in that non-cohort set. And so that would impact some of the interpretation on it. Um, which is why I'm hesitant to say, yeah, that's a great idea, because I could probably pull that and we can get a little more in depth on how many are in our non cohort, non cohort set, if that makes sense.
3: That makes sense. Yeah. And yeah, obviously, students are coming in and out. I imagine our retention rate is probably stronger than some other districts. So and compare, I think just in terms of a visual like this, we might want to think about doing that just so we're not, you
6: know, especially for people who are looking this to see at second graders, there's a drop over time. I will. I'll try to get it for you as soon as I can. I will tell you this data just literally dropped. I want to say like Friday, last we're, we're Friday. Sure. So, but I'll try to churn it out. But I want to be okay. accurate. So, Fair. give me a week or so,
3: and I'll, I'll try we'll, to pull. We'll pull go a nice through all the
4: questions and sort of figure out which ones are low-hanging fruit and which ones are a little bit more difficult.
3: That sounds great. Okay. Um, And then and then my last comment until I see control to others is uh, I would just continually suggest the cohort based comparison. I think there was ways to to do that even when we look at um, I'm sorry the longitudinal cohort based comparison. If we look at other neighboring districts, um, if there is a way to present how those districts did over time, not just how we're doing with them in a snapshot across sectional um, that might help us to say, okay, yes, we're we know we're going to be higher than our neighboring districts but maybe our growth comparison to their growth or our trends comparison to their trends over two years or three years. And I know we're getting into multiple dimensions of, um, of, of data presentation, but that might be a way to get away from the table-based numerical comparisons okay. and maybe a little bit more line charts. That might help with our trends. But overall, this is exciting. I think this is definitely um, a big step up of oh, data presentation. I know this is the big data section. Um, really appreciate your time on this. Perfect. Thanks.
0: Thank you, Vice Chair Gould. Uh, yes, Ms. Silverman.
7: Unlike Dr. Gould, I'm not a data person, so you might have to help me a little bit here. Um, on the SOL um, group breakdown by subject reading, I'm looking at the um, black students' pass rate at 76, where we dropped nine percent. You also said that the N dropped as well, mm-hmm. I believe, which is yep. probably the most disheartening part of your presentation. Which is nothing that we, or I don't know if there's anything, if anything we can do um, as a school board to increase that N, but that you know having that drop it is disheartening um, because the N dropped and again you're, you're the math person I haven't taken math since senior year of high school um, that means that if the n had not dropped our pass rate would have been worse Depends is that the correct student's
6: passed or not okay so I can tell you that from um, in 1920 we had Uh, 92 students, now we have 83. So if we took those kids, those nine kids all passed, our pass rate would probably go up. But you can't really make that assumption. I mean, theoretically, you could say, well, you could figure out the same pass rate and, you know, do some sort of analysis that way. Yeah, okay. But I think you just, when the numbers start getting smaller, it it just becomes very tricky on just making those conclusions. So when you make those sort of comparisons, that's why I say we, we need to take them with caution and realize that we have other variables at play um, and then go from there. Um, No, that makes sense. Uh, sense. Thank
7: you for explaining that because I didn't want to read into it incorrectly. So thank you. Thank you, Ms.
0: Lerman. If I can jump in here real quick. So Dr. Wallman, of that group, um, just so we have um, an idea of numbers, so we're we're talking about when we're looking at the black students, students with disabilities, ESOL learners, and the economically disadvantaged, how what is that number, approximately, if, if you have it? For each group? Yeah, there, t- total, varies. like
6: are we talking like 200 students? So or? for uh, for black, it's under 100. Uh, for students with disabilities, it's under 300. For ELs, it's under, so the ELs is a little different. Remember, these are right. the kids not only getting services, but are being tracked for those four years mm-hmm. after Um, That number is under 200, um, and our economically disadvantaged is under 200. And those are our current numbers. Um, All of those numbers are going down.
0: (coughs) Okay, thank you. Just wanted to get the actual estimate on on the actual number on that. Um, Yes, Dr. Dimick, did you have a question?
8: Yes, thank you, Chair. Um, Thank you for the presentation. Um, I enjoyed sitting through data presentations. Um, and it seems like we are doing well. Um, I just, um, I, perhaps in past meetings, I, I didn't express myself in a way that could be well, uh, understood. I guess I, Falls Church is really unique. So 79% of False Church residents 25 and older have a bachelor's degree compared to the state level of 39% and even compared to our neighbors. And, Arlington is also pretty high, 75.8%, and in Fairfax, 62%. Our poverty level is also super low here in Falls Church. It's at 2%. Arlington's at 6%. Fairfax is at 53 and the state is at 10%. Then um, I share this to, um, I guess, I comparing us to similar sized districts, to me, isn't as meaningful as comparing us to districts that have a similar socioeconomic makeup, since socioeconomic status is a large predictor of student achievement. Um, so, I guess I wonder, you know, with with the S two and S four, are they are they similar to us in sort of socioeconomic makeup? And then also looking at our neighbors, I know that our neighboring districts are maybe not so similar to us. And so I guess I will again ask if we could compare ourselves to perhaps similar schools. I mean, the last, I, I've only poked around in SOL data once, but it does seem that there, if you take the sort of socioeconomic status and use a proxy of free and reduced lunch, and you know that what a school's, or a school district's sort of free and reduced lunch is, you can find similar schools in, say, North Arlington or parts of Fairfax, that have similar demographics to us that may be better comparisons than comparing us to a district that doesn't really match our district. So I guess I will again um, ask for that. Um, and then um, this is not this is not all for this presentation, but I just want to uh, remind folks across the table. In our policy A B, we do ask to be. Um, provided with student achievement data including disaggregated data for each school that includes test scores achievement disciplinary action graduation rates grifted identification and enrollment in advanced accelerated classes um, um, so it, I, I know that that's a lot of information and much of it outside the scope of this presentation um, but I, I look forward to that yearly update on those points thank you thank you dr. demick
0: yes dr. Ortiz
8: thank you chair downs <clears throat> thank you dr.
12: Weiland, for the detailed presentation I want to thank um, um, all the teachers in the district and administrators that have been working hard to kind of achieve these these numbers they're they're pretty remarkable uh, a couple um, I have a couple uh, uh, questions and I think maybe the answer is going to be that it will be part of the whole student piece but Um, With respect to the gap, the closing of gaps that has been noted and that isn't universal, um, uh, uh, part of the, there's some hypotheses in terms of some of the innovations and changes that have been made in order to to, to hopefully achieve that. Um, Given that um, I don't know how um, how um, the budget is going to look in several months when we have to go through that process again, you know, there's 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 some funds expiring. Um, I, I think it would be helpful. You know, coming away from this presentation to work with, you know, the people who are delivering those services and working with some of the tools that we've that that we've acquired to tr- to try to figure out what's what's working really to to close those gaps. Just because, you know, if you know, I think that as a board we'd be willing to invest in in what makes sense. But there's a long list of them that you have, and you know, some of them are embedded in the way that we approach our instruction, but I think it's really important for us as we get to, 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 to the budget discussion, which comes really, really quickly, um, you know, to be able to, to, to make those decisions. We're going to need a little bit more information about exactly how um, those who are delivering the services feel that those, you know, those, those enhancements have been performing. So that's, I think, a request that I have. Um, and then the other piece here is, you know, I think for the sake of, you know, you know there's, there's a tremendous amount of information that was presented. Um, you know, I'll probably take away more from it when I go over it again, um, but I, you know, I, the, you know, the SOL isn't just a pass-fail exam. There's a score associated with it, and um, I wonder the degree, you know, and, and I'm not asking you to go back in and start to, to to look at every figure that, you know, every you know every every student result and give us all of the standard deviations, but um, I wonder the degree to which we could be using um, those score data. Um, both um, in terms of trying to understand, you know, where we're really excelling, as well as to the degree to which we're really closing these gaps effectively. Because if we're just moving a few students across the pass line, that's a much different, um, different, um, different story than if we're actually taking students over the course of you know, their journey through the schools and, and and moving them significantly into like you know the higher pass rates. So I think that those are are not the higher the higher score areas. So those are a couple areas where, you know, probably, um, you know, obviously there's limited resources to, to look at all this stuff. And, 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 um, but, but I want to make sure that, that you know, as we, as we consider these data in more detail, that we actually have that kind of um, insight to help us figure out exactly where the programming and where we can, as the board, you know, use, use our control over the budget and other factors in order to, to help give this, you know, help give the resources to where the services are most needed.
0: Thank you, Dr. Ortiz. Any other I res- qu-
12: oh,
5: yep. Oh. I was, I was going to uh, respond to that if I may. Yes, please. At a, at a high level and, and Dr. Ortiz, uh, we really appreciate that. Um, so just so, so folks know that we, we get into the data at a much granular, granular level at our team level at the school level. So our grade level teams, our curriculum uh, level teams, our MTSS teams, even our um, gifted academic um, teams. Look more specifically at so. It's not just about the pass rate. Is, is it pass proficient? Is it pass um, advanced? And are we seeing growth? And how strong is a student in a particular um, subject? Because we know. Um, and we talked about it last year when we looked at the various um, bands in um, our star performance data, um, how much growth are we seeing? And um, there might be some areas where students are demonstrating success and have a, a past score in a particular area or on a particular um, test type but we know that they're still deficient in specific skills. And that's where the teachers can really dig in and identify, okay, the student may be at a proficient, but we know that there's specific skills that they need to um, refine or further develop. And so those are the things that we definitely get into at the, at the team level. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Bates. Thank you, Mr. Bates, appreciate that.
0: Any other questions on this section? okay bringing it home dr rollman last section thank you so
6: much Um, i'm actually going to start out with um before we move into the the whole child data. i i was really moved by a letter that was actually sent out in a a parent i mean a communication from the schools so like you guys get uh newsletters from from the principals they telling you about what's going on we uh, as a district level get those kind of communications as well And I was really struck by a a letter that um, a teacher sent to uh, her class um, the day before they started the SOLs last year and it just kind of moved me a little bit and I thought I needed to share it with you guys so you can see kind of where I'm going for this whole child type thing. Um, So I'm going to read it. Um, My amazing students, tomorrow you will take your reading SOL and the week after that your math SOL. There's something important you need to know. The SOL test does not assess all of what makes each of you special, beautiful, and uniquely diverse. I'm so proud of you, of who you are, who who you have become this year, and I know your hard work and determination will take you so far in life. I know each of you will make such a difference in the world. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to uh, Mr. Bates, and he is going to start us off with the whole uh, with the whole child data.
5: Thank you, Dr. Weilerman, and and thank you for sharing that because. It, it was mentioned um, a little earlier and through. It's important that we look at the quantitative, but we also need to look at the qualitative pieces. And um, with, when it comes to some of those soft data, they're not always easy, easy to measure, but we understand that they make a difference. And so, you know, as I was thinking um, about this section, you know, I couldn't help but, but think, so what does it sound like? What does it feel? feel like what does it look like when schools. Are very intentional and and committed to developing the whole child. And so if we pose that question. I think what you see in some of these honor slides is exactly um, what we've wanted to accomplish and it's a. It's a result of an intense focus on developing the whole child. Awards, recognitions, participation and engagement. And so when we look at this first slide. In grades three through five, what are some of the great things that our students have accomplished at that level? And so this first uh, section here is the world master. And again, I'm not going to read it uh, for you, but you can see that nationally, how our students are comparing in um, specific areas and then um specific to the mathematics olympiad you can see how our fourth and fifth graders compared and this is against global um world competitions and again you can see some of those numbers uh, top 50 percent top 10 percent even top two percent in uh, for some of our some of our students at the, at our lower levels again looking at are a secondary awards. We have a number of areas that our students are participating in and engaging in and excelling in, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention the Cappy Awards. Um, not to sound like a broken record, but but again, as, as a high school principal and as as um, someone who's previously supported and supervised high schools in the region, I know that. To have one Cappy nomination in a given year is an exceptional uh, feat, but to have nine nominations and a winner who performed at the Kennedy Center, that's just a phenomenal data point. And and again, um, how can we start drawing in some of these qualitative pieces to really um, show a demonstration of how our students are engaging and how they're how they're excelling and really being difference makers. Uh, if you look further through the, this particular slide, you can see everything from the science. Bowls to our uh, district bands and and our wind ensembles, just phenomenal accomplishments that our, our students are should be recognized for, but also our staff should be recognized for as well, because staff and parents without their support, these things don't happen and we don't have these wonderful data points to share. Continuing, our Harvard Youth Advisory Board, National Youth Leadership Forum on Medicine. We had our uh, essay contest for the Edwin B. Henderson in black history month last year we also had the if i were um mayor contest and so it's a wide range of different types of interests different types of of areas of engagement that our students are are engaging in and then the last point that we put on there is the EI- eip program that's the early identification program and that is for students who would be um considered first generation college students who. Are identified by the schools to participate in a program that's structured around uh, mentoring and academic support and academic learning at George Mason University, and so they're able to come together and engage um, in the mentoring and 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 support over a number of weekends and then over the summer they actually go to the George Mason campus with students from other other school districts and engage uh, further in really just preparing them for um, life after high school as it relates specific um, specifically to being fully prepared to be successful at the college level Our participation rates. If students aren't engaged, if they're not well, when we think about health and wellness, we think about the social-emotional um, well-being of our students. As we're focusing on the whole child, if students, if students aren't engaged, that's an indication of kind of the wellness meter or the SEL meter of of our students in in a particular district. And so, again, just some. Um, amazing numbers with 406 male students and 372 female students participating in interscholastic sports and we know that many of our students are multi-sport athletes um, and we have students that across the board they're not just athletes they may also be um, in a myriad of of clubs as well
4: mr. Bates we're gonna go back to the one that we inadvertently skipped over
5: (laughs) okay and again, our, our VHSL sports and and, and we all know. Um, I think an easy, surefire way to bring a community together is to have. Exceptional fine and performing arts and athletic programs, and so we. All right, you're kind of losing me here? Can we go back to that previous slide, please? So if we, if we look at some of the accomplishments here um, for our athletics, we can see just how well our students, our students do. And again, it's an indication of a well-rounded students because if we, if we go back and look at how our students are excelling in our most rigorous academic uh, curriculum, as well as the test scores even our college acceptances. And we see that students are accomplishing that all the while accomplishing this level of, of success while competing against other schools and athletic events. It just speaks to the type of student we have and the, the work that, and commitment that our adults have to the students to help them achieve this level of success. OK. And. Peter, I'll go ahead and turn it over to you. Perfect. i um, uh,
6: we're in the home stretch here um, we did have these last couple slides. And frankly, um, this is my favorite. Uh, these are some of my favorite slides, partly because I get to do like a mini focus group with the admin uh, at each building. So I get to go out there and we chat about all sorts of stuff and. Um, they tell me what they're excited about and what they want to share and so for me it's just really a good way to get to know the schools and what some of these things that we wouldn't necessarily think about um, per se because frankly a lot of them I didn't think about uh, until they were shared with me so these last couple slides I want to share and hopefully I do them justice because again when they told it it's much more moving and and powerful Um, so the Secondary, they wanted to talk a lot about community, about last year was about community. Um, And so they 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 talked to me about how the girls basketball team, although they were runner up, they inspired lots of other people in the community to get excited about it and to be part of that. Um, And there's even a picture of a young lady signing autographs for young ladies. And that kind of inspiration is really kind of a a really good thing um, for all our students, young and old. They talked to me about how after football games last year, people would congregate for a while afterwards and they'd all stay together and they talk about about just stuff Um, and the community was just starting to come together after the pandemic. So, again, we were separated and now everything's starting to come back together. And so that's what the secondary school talked to me about and I thought it was great they went further that there were other things they there was an impact beyond the participations they talked a lot to me a lot about best buddies community service and going down on the mall and doing the walk down there with the best buddies walk uh, and frankly I walked there so I enjoyed it uh, it was a really cool thing um, the VP visit they spent a lot of time talking to me about how after the event happened they would talk to students and the students got it They understood the moment, how exciting it is, and how you may only get to meet a person like that once in a lifetime. I mean, unless you work in the White House, I mean, how often are you going to meet a vice president? This is my first. Uh, I I did meet a a first lady. I don't know if that counts, but uh, so it doesn't happen very often. And they got it. The people got it. The kids got it. They understood it. They could talk about it. They could articulate it, which I think is important. And finally, um, they talked about the seven students who came and talked at the Q&A at the convocation. Uh, I actually thought it was the most powerful moment of convocation besides Peter's speech, of course. Um, but <laughs> the kids were wonderful and articulating uh, not only the things that were good for them, but also challenges that they saw um, for, for students their age, supports they needed. Um, to me, it was quite inspiring the words they delivered. Um, so again, I was appreciative that I got to meet with the secondary team and, and they shared that with me. Um, moving on to Oak Street. Um, they were really excited to talk about the collaborative planning uh how their school was really excited that finally they've i guess they've been trying to do this for a while and then to pull this together and finally be able to do this um so they could build instructional practices around their language arts and math through pyp was just so very exciting to me um they also talked about how the excitement about band is so good that they have two band teachers now so that's that's a big deal and i think that's really exciting to me um Safety patrol, 81 kids are on safety patrol. That's amazing. I mean, that's the school's not that big and they have 81 kids. Uh, And you can look at the pictures here. They do it themselves. It's the staff is there, but it's their kids are running it. They're doing it. This leadership skills that are going on. Um, And then finally, and I don't know if you guys ever have a chance to see this, but Geo Island, the third grade performance based assessment, is an amazing project. I know kids are excited, you know, Uh, at Mount Daniel because they have siblings who have done Geo Island and we're going to go to do J Island next year and it's it's really a remarkable event Um, it's a year-long project for those of you don't know that covers it's it's supposed to cover um, our our science and history standards but it's a lot more than that it's presentation skills it's um, working in groups it's learning about a lot of things and if you look at the board there Um, There's a lot covered throughout that unit and they really need to think about it and they're so creative in what they come up with. I think I saw my favorite was a basketball island where it was just really exciting to have the kid was really into basketball. And so he had all sorts of things related to basketball. Um, So that's what Oak Street wanted me to share. And it was very exciting to learn about it. Mount Daniel. They're they're incredibly excited about embracing professional learning. Uh, I think their staff has really um, gotten into literacy and evi- uh, evidence-based instruction. Uh, um, by the end of last year, they had 22 staff members who had been trained in Orton-Gillingham. They had 10 staff um, complete the letters training last year. There are seven more in a cohort this year. Um, there are more staff that want to be trained. We just don't have enough resources at this point, we're, but we're looking for them so we can get everybody who wants to do it doing it. And that is them pushing for it. They want to get better at their craft so they can can teach the, the students they also were very um excited about the robust robust mtss system that really helps um, students in social emotional literacy um, and their math um, they're catching them early and so i think a lot of our games it's you know a kid starts stumbling a little bit they're caught and put back on the right track so again um it was great to hear from mount daniel Um, I will say that I didn't have enough room on my slide, but if you look at the picture closely, that's a ukulele concert uh, that they did mention is a highlight of the year. Uh, So I might have to hit that this year. So please make sure you invite me. Um, Finally, we don't wanna forget the little ones uh, over at Jesse Thackeray Preschool. Um, JSTP is growing in size with the Virginia Preschool um, Initiative expansion. So they're getting a little uh, little bigger with our little guys. Um, I, I have a soft spot because I did teach VPI for two years, three years, uh, and I really enjoyed it. Um, so if you ever want to see kids get excited about learning, you got to go down to the preschool kids. They, they know what it's all about. Um, there's a new video uh, early childhood standards, uh, and so they've been aligning their curriculum with that and slowly getting um, that set up. Um, there are also a lot of leadership opportunities there. Um, There are two curriculum teacher leads, one child find teacher lead and one ready ready regions parent training lead. So they're giving they're trying to find opportunities for teachers to take a lead in a lot of different things. Um, They partnered with the librarians from Mary Riley um, Stiles Library. So they're coming to the school, starting that back up again with COVID, We couldn't do that. Now it's starting back up. And then finally, uh, they're doing community outings, guest readers, and lots of joy in celebrating early childhood, as it should be at that age group. So to summarize the whole child data, um, the highlights were uh, students and teams are excelling at various endeavors inside and outside the classroom. Um, Students are gaining great uh, experiences in presenting, performing, competing, collaborating, and doing good. Schools are proud of many aspects of their students and staff that are hard to measure, but incredibly important. And the community is supportive of various endeavors at FCCPS, students as a whole, but especially by by our PTAs, Falls Church Education Foundation, and of course, the school board. Um, Strength, a great variety of opportunities where students can grow. Um, Teaching, coaching, mentoring, behind the scenes logistical support is very strong. Students initiative and creativity is really what makes the district what it is because you never know what you're gonna get. Opportunities for growth. Can you continue to teach and monitor students time management skills to make sure they are not over planning? We've heard that on a number of occasions, so something we need to keep an eye out on. Before I conclude, I just did want to add that we we don't want to leave out sharing some news about our staff. And again, this is the hardest area to get. I think a lot of teachers don't like to share, you know, all the great things they're doing. Um, I know I was that way, too. Um, but I did want to just mention that we're probably missing many cool uh, you know, accolades for teachers. But we did have two new um, nationally board certified teachers uh, and two uh, renewals, which puts us officially at 12, although I'm pretty sure they're more than that for who have let their, their certification re- um, expire. So every 10 years you have to renew it. And I think some people just didn't go through that process because it's pretty laborious. Um, We had a great award for the morning announcements. So you've probably seen that on the the morning announcements. There's a little icon there, and that's really exciting. They put a lot of work into that uh, publication, and I think it's well-deserved. We had a Washington Capitals Educator of the Year. What's wrong with that? She got to go to the Caps game, uh, was featured there. Um, So that's great news. Uh, We had a United Soccer Coach, uh, Assistant Coach of the Year. That's a great honor. That's a national honor. Uh, And then we had one staff member join the learning forward class uh, academy class of 2024 which is it's a big deal It's hard to get in that. Uh, So we're very proud of him for getting in there. And of course, there are probably many many more So in summary the story of SCCPS data in 2021-22 is high achievement in academics athletics arts and more resiliency as students came back to school and focused on learning in person again community as students and their families work to rebuild their connections and finally giving back to the community. So I thank you for your time tonight. Um, I'm open for more questions. I did want to just note on the back sheet, we did add a a link to additional resources if you're interested. Um, We just thought that was a good way for you to to kind of expand on anything else you might be interested in Um, the Meridian Athletics thing is take you know, take some, it's going to take you some time to get through that one, probably more time than getting through the Virginia school quality profiles, but, uh, take a look at that. There's some good stuff in there. So thank you. Thank you so much. Dr. Wallman and Mr. Bates,
0: any questions on this section? Yes. Ms. Tice.
11: Thank you again. This is the fun stuff, right? This is what it's really all about. Um, I have a very small data question. Um, on the slide, I think it's, uh, sixty five and it says there's you know, 700 and some uh, student athletes is that individual is that 700 individuals or are we counting you know the same kid more than once if they play a fall sport and a winter sport because otherwise that's almost the entire high school Don't yeah. a, a few eighth graders right but there's not a ton.
6: Uh, i'm well, sorry i would have to check with mr park on that but i'm pretty sure mr. it's park. almost
9: everybody plays it's almost certainly including some duplicate i don't think that's individual uh, athletes and we do have multiple kiddos who play two and three sports but we can get you the uh individual number two
11: that would be great just cause as a as a frame of reference i've always thought it was more like 60 percent of our high schoolers play a sport um which is a great and high number but this would be in the 90 90 so i'm that would be a bigger jump than I was expecting just curious but
0: that's all and I'll pick it up on the athletics there um, what would be interesting to me also would be to um, indicate the number of athletes that are playing at the college level um, because I think that's really important I know the senior class that graduated had a lot of athletes that went on to play in college and I think that just um, again gets our great um, fall Shirt city students out there and uh, promotes what a wonderful uh, division we are so just that feedback anything anyone else yeah vice-chair gold saying that I have some self-interest in that comment but uh, dr. Dimmick were you gonna say something?
8: yes I wanted to thank you for the whole child and the school-based presentations it's it's I think we all hope to raise happy, well-adjusted, lifelong learners, and this section really, I think, gets at students' interests and them being engaged and, and having wonderful teachers and wonderful mentors um, um, and sort of showing the richness of our school district. So thank you.
3: Yeah, echoing uh, this is a great section, I think, especially since we're a smaller school district, it's fun to be able to highlight the, the anecdotes Um, The one suggestion I would have on this, I think a few times we all made the comment that this leads to better social, emotional um, uh, well-being for our children, but we don't have the data to kind of show that. I think we, at least in the presentation, I think we do collect this data. And I'm wondering if we can take the data from the K-12 insight survey, or especially around student survey, and look at some of those items and overlay them in terms of social, emotional, there are I think there is the uh, castle C A S E L is the five core competencies, and I think we could we don't have to use one of their surveys. I think we actually have the data, data to do that, and I think it would make it a, 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 an important understanding to figure out how our kids are doing on those measures that we already collect. So again, this is this is great, you know, anecdotal data, but I think we have the data. It'd be great to combine those, and I'm sure from a data person, you'd be you'd enjoy trying to look at that and and work that in here, and then again. I'm going to keep hitting it longitudinally just see how we do that because I think it's important to know how our, ch- our our students are doing over time. So, Or teachers. I guess we could do that. I don't know the measures of the item uh, that we have for our teacher staff survey. So,
0: Thank you, Vice Chair Gould. Any other questions? Okay. Well, uh, Mr. Bates and Dr. Wallman, thank you so much for this presentation and I, I want to be sure to. Uh, thank our teachers. Uh, the reason we, this is such a good news story uh, tonight is, is our teachers who are there day in and day out um, teaching our children. I also want to make sure to s- thank the staff, um, counselors, social workers, st- staff working with ESOL students, working with special education students, um, all the staff who support our students in, in numerous ways, central office staff who is here tonight uh, supporting uh, our teachers and our administrators. Uh, don't want to forget our principals who are in the room, and, the, and I know Ms. Hardy isn't here, but um, all of our principals and assistant principals who support teachers, and of course our parents who support their students at home, and our students, we're just so incredibly proud of our students. So uh, it is a good news. I know when Dr. Newton and I talked about this, it's a good news story, and uh, we're just we're just thrilled with it. And again, Dr. Wallman and Mr. Bates, I know how much, I don't know, I can only imagine how much time you put into this presentation, but I can speak for the board that we're all very pleased with not only the data, but just um, the manner in which you presented it. And so thank you, and thank you for entertaining our questions this evening. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you. And to all the staff, I will, uh, well, I'm not your boss. Dr. Noonan (laughs) may let you go, I'm not sure, but
5: (laughs) those. (laughs) those I'm gonna let him go. That they've got her- an early day tomorrow <laughs> that's right thank you
0: it is nine thirty-four p.m and we are on uh section 2.02 of our agenda we just had a terrific uh, data presentation by uh, mr bates and dr Weilman, and we're moving now on to our calendar policy uh i'll just g- start by again um thanking Mr. Reitinger who had this idea to create a calendar policy and the idea with that would be that we wouldn't have to recreate the wheel every year and um, go back and forth with Dr. Noonan and his staff. We thought if we could create a policy that might um, provide some um, guidance to Dr. Noonan and his staff that it would make the process easier. So I want to thank Mr. Reitinger again for taking the lead. Unfortunately, he's not able to join us this evening due to some um, travel related to his employment. Uh, so just to give the public a summary of, of what's what has taken place, um, our first discussion on this matter actually occurred way back in May, and tonight is our sixth uh, sixth <laughs> discussion, uh, public discussion. So we've discussed um, this publicly six times now. Uh, in the in the spring, links to the meetings uh, where we discussed this policy were included in the morning announcements, and then during the summer when we discussed this policy, Links were sent out uh, to the meeting to the public via um, newsletters from central office. To, get, to start with a high-level summary um, for, our, for the public who may not have um, been following this as closely, uh, just going through very high-level um, couple aspects of this policy. Uh, in terms of the start date, uh, we had had conversations um, and many um, school board members felt that beginning the year earlier would give our um, teachers and students uh, more time to prepare for the SOL exams, the AP exams, and the IB exams. Uh, So we, um, so this policy currently has a starting date of two weeks before Labor Day, and with an ending date of no later than June 10th. We, um, Thanksgiving, or fall break would remain as it's it's always been, and um, in terms of the winter holiday, it would ideally be two weeks long, and it would include include the federal holidays of December 21st and January 1st. And in terms of spring break, though this board would like to have spring break scheduled at the end of the third quarter, um, due to the fact that the majority of our teachers live outside Falls Church City, it's really important that we align our break with those divisions. And that way we prevent hundreds of teachers from taking a week of leave at spring break so that they're able to spend spring break with their own children. Uh, For the past two years, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Diwali, and Eid have been included in our calendar. However, this policy before us proposes we remove those holidays and instead recognize them through a regulation and focus holidays around federal holidays. Um, So that's just a general overview. And so if if, um, you all want to pull up uh, policy CC, it was uh, edited um, based on school board feedback as well as some community feedback uh, several days ago. And this version was submitted, was sent to staff this morning. Thank you, Dr. Noonan. And it was also included in this morning's uh, morning announcements. So looking at um, the first section, uh, we are looking at trying to uh, establish a calendars for two years out. And um, Ms. Tice had brought up the point Uh, this is a more of a process piece Uh, you'll see that in this policy it talks about it's in September of even numbered years the superintendent will begin a process of developing calendars for the following two academic years Uh, Ms. Tice do you think you can uh, explain your concerns or thoughts on this piece
11: sure of course I just uh, the more I gave it uh, some greater thought I realized that I I know the intention here was one to give the community uh, as much notice as possible for planning, and um, also to sort of ease the burden on all the on all the staff um, in terms of creating these calendars. But I'm hoping that the goal of this policy is to make the calendar process much simpler and hopefully lift the burden um, from staff and having this laborious conversation every year. Um, in, a, in a topic that we know we can't please everyone, so we can just try and at least be predictable um, and consistent. So. I know that was the goal, but here to me, it just seems like we could, um, just do it every year, like a rolling process every fall, go through this, go through the calendar approval process. And it shouldn't be as time consuming as it is now and do it two years out. So, um, we obviously would have to play catch up right now and do a two-year calendar now, but then next year in the fall of 2023, we could be fall to winter of 2023 we could be approving the calendar for the school year starting 2025 Um, so that was just that was my thinking to make sure we're always giving uh, enough notice and hopefully that won't be adding work to everyone's plate with a with a more streamlined
2: policy
0: so the idea would be this winter we would we would approve two years two years worth of calendars right and then next winter we would do one year and then from that but we would always be one year ahead of our so if if everyone is following that does that make sense? Okay. I think, Dr. Noon, would that be okay with you?
4: Yes, we could do that. Okay,
0: thank you. So we'll work on um, updating that, that language. Thank you, Ms. Ties, for that suggestion. Uh, so wh- I think that, that basically covers um, two because we'll be editing some of that, and of course we'll get those, that edited version out to the community once we, we do that. Uh, looking at Section 3, Calendar Requirements, Uh, Again, the first day of school will be the Monday, two weeks before Labor Day. Uh, We did receive uh, a couple emails from staff. I think um, that these staff members who wrote in um, preferred the one week uh, prior to Labor Day start. And uh, I don't know if anyone else had any thoughts on on this piece. Yes, Ms. Tice.
11: Here I am again. I had had a good conversation with some colleagues, and we were thinking that if we have to put out a two-year calendar, um, perhaps we could roll out the two, the two weeks before Labor Day on that second year. This is just a suggestion to see what people think. Um, to sort of ease the burden of the short summer that comes when you sort of rip the band-aid off of going to the full two weeks um, so that maybe next year's calendar would would be um, would, wouldn't have the religious holidays on it. so it would short it would still be ending a little bit earlier in June. And would maybe ease ease us into the two weeks before Labor Day for that second year that was just an idea I'm very committed to the two weeks before Labor Day I think I've shared that at every all six of our meetings (laughs) I still feel strongly about that but I would be open to the idea of maybe not implementing it for two more years if that would ease the burden for staff on that shortened summer Um, particularly if it might help increase the chances of getting staffing for summer school and some of the other concerns that were brought up in some emails this week Um, I was just throwing it out there as an option
0: so the idea would there would be that n- next year we would start we would keep things as is, but the community would know because they've had two calendars now that that year after we're going to the two weeks before.
11: Right, and by keeping everything else in place, we won't go all the way as early in June as we we will eventually, but we might go a little bit earlier in June. I don't know. I haven't looked at the the sample um, today since I've had this conversation, but um, perhaps that would
7: that would make the shorter the the summer not as
0: yes miss silverman
7: i know dr Nune, You probably can't really answer this question until budget season but would there be a way to compensate uh that those teachers and staff for that short that one year of shortened summer break
4: um i think that's a bigger conversation probably um, than than perhaps tonight i i don't know if that's the route we'd want to go down would be, I don't know what we'd be compensating them for um, because they would get their regular length of school year or summer the following summer and three summers ago, they got an extra long summer um, because we made the switch from the pre-labor day to, um, or post-labor day to pre-labor day. So there's if they've been with us for more than three years, they've had one really long summer and they would have one shorter summer in the interim. They'd still be working 200 days. It just would be sliding where those 200 days work. So I, I don't I think it's probably maybe a bigger conversation.
7: Okay. No, and and I was trying to wrap my head around this today just you know after receiving feedback. Um so from my understanding it's just the first year where their summer is shorter. That's but you're correct. saying that a few years ago when we moved from after Labor Day to before Labor Day we they went, had they had an extended summer
4: yes because when we started after Labor Day we still ended um, around on or around June 15th I'm sorry good so I make sure I get this right so so when we correct. first
2: shifted yeah. from post Labor Day to pre Labor Day we started two weeks before two weeks pre Labor Day and then we shifted it to one week so they did have a longer summer previously but regardless they still work the same number of days it's just a difference of when those days occur so they're not working any extra days when we start earlier the time frame is just shifted
4: and it it would mean um, and just by by the way you know one of the pieces of feedback we heard was about summer school planning Um, I wouldn't anticipate that we would have any trouble covering summer school because that is um, such a big piece of work that some of our staff count on. Um, So they they may have a a shorter window from when they end summer school to when we uh, report back. But remember, new teachers report one week prior to Labor Day or one week prior to the start of um, school and new teachers uh, report two weeks prior. So a very small percentage of people would be reporting two weeks prior to um, the start of school.
7: And then ultimately, we would we be, be shifting summer school to maybe be to start earlier in June in order to have?
4: I don't know. We'd have to look at that. Okay. We, we could definitely look just at Just have that. like a
7: bigger, you know, kind of cushions on both ends. Mm-hmm.
4: I think the, the challenge there is that it would, that would potentially limit our window of opportunity with folks because we get people not just from Falls Church but from mm-hmm. other divisions and most of the other divisions start their summer school right after the July 4th holiday.
7: Oh, okay, <coughs> thank you.
4: Sure.
0: Uh, Dr. Noon, do you think um, that idea that uh, Ms. Tice had, do you think that would be, what do you think of that? That'd be very confusing, so that the, if we were, so in December, if we were to do two years yeah. out, the first calendar, which is the immediately, the upcoming year would be as is one week before. But then starting after that we would do the two weeks before
4: yeah i think what i'd like to do is go back and look at how much time would be recaptured on the back end Um, because if it's if it's only a couple of days i don't know that it would be significant enough Um, but i could take a look at it i mean anything's doable Um, it's just a matter of how well will it be received in the community to have one year one way and then into in, into the future it will be this way and then how would you write the rag around that so or the policies yes yes thank you
11: right I definitely think we need to make sure the juice is worth the squeeze on the confused confusion of it I I w- it would only be worth it if we thought I mean I I'm not particularly compelled to make these decisions around people's vacations but there are vacations that have already been planned and that would ease that one I'm thinking more of um, of the, the staffing concerns for the summer so if it's really um, a matter of two or three days then then yes i don't know that it's worth it but it would be nice to know
4: sure yeah you know. we can take a look uh, i and i do appreciate the conversation that you're having about the earlier potential for the earlier start after just coming off the data presentation where we shared with you sol scores and WIDA scores and everything else and it's and it's an ap scores and as ib scores it's nice to Frankly, it is nice to have more time before those assessments um, with kids.
0: Well, you know, uh, speaking of assessments, I think one of the things that's interesting is uh, someone, a community member, had written in about SOLs and our SOLs are so great, why would we need to start early? But I mean, I think sometimes um, those parents who may not have high schoolers don't realize, we also have IB exams and AP exams in a great portion of the country start very early in August. And so you know when you're looking at that sort of um, data in terms of, it's not, it goes beyond SOL exams. We have other kind of nas- national exams too that our students have to take. Yes, Ms. Tice.
11: On that note also, I think it, are, so much, a portion of why our SOL sources are so good is because our teachers are laser, fo- laser focused on it, right? They're, they're doing such a good job of teaching that content in a, in a compressed amount of time that if you were to give them another few days, just a little bit more breathing room to expand on some things and maybe not always be thinking about how this is tied to SOL. I I just think that that also eases the burden and maybe um, whether or not it changes our scores, if it just takes some of the pressure off, I think that's also advantageous.
0: Thank you. Vice did you have something?
3: Yeah, just another reason for the moving the two weeks uh, to prior two weeks is also extracurricular activities, both sports and extracurricular. I know that was some of our reasoning that it starts August 1st and it aligns a little bit more with that. I did have someone ask me today, um, is there any chance that, that that August 1st date would move up? And, uh, and just confirming the response that august 1st date is more statewide that's not really something that we control and that's pretty unlikely that that would ever move up before august
4: 1st that's correct okay. that is correct that,
0: yeah that's set by the
4: BHSL.
0: Any any other questions on start date okay well thank you dr if you wouldn't mind taking some time to to think about that and again i don't we're not it. we're just exploring so
4: and what I'll do is I'll, I'll share it with you this week and just I won't do the analysis I'll just I'll just tell you how many days it saves and you guys can uh, do the analysis okay
0: great thank you uh, okay so moving on to section B or uh, item B um, this is uh, our fall break including Thanksgiving the federal holiday of Thanksgiving that's similar as it's always been Uh, Now we're on Section C, winter break. Uh, Again, this would be uh, scheduled around the federal holidays of December 25th and January 1st, and ideally last two weeks. Uh, I don't know if anyone had any feedback on this. I I didn't receive much community feedback on this one. I don't know if anyone else did. Oh, yes, Dr. Ortiz. So, So the
12: feedback we received uh, on on the winter break, um, some of it had to do, I think, more so with timing than with the length um that is to say that you know um uh, i i can't remember in one of the draft calendars and i think those are more notional to help us figure this out more so than like final um you, you know i think the 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 staff kept um where you know peter and you, you and your team kept um uh, us going back to school you know january 2nd or 3rd or something like that and so that pushed um, the winter break to about December 17th or something. And some people commented, it's like, well, I'm still in the thick of working at that time. Um, but I think that the policy is pretty clear that it's this band, you know, this eight day band in the middle. And I think there's probably flexibility around that. So I think, you know, so long as as we, um, I think, um, um, adjust appropriately for those considerations, I think that, that that comment can be can be resolved pretty pretty straightforward.
0: And and this is actually no different than it's been the past two years, at least, um, because I went back to check when I was answering some of these emails. And this is definitely how it's been for the past two years, winter break. So this is this isn't really anything different. Um, So Section D, spring break, uh, again, uh, as I said in my intro, this is something that, you know, as a board, I think we'd love to see be um, at the end of the third quarter. Uh, but the problem we have is that uh, the majority of our staff live outside of Falls Church City and um, you know it's uh, to not have spring break at the same time that their own children have spring break you know it would really create operational and staffing issues uh, not to mention it's not supportive of our staff that they wouldn't have spring break at the same time as their own children so um I don't know you know one of the things I you know we have uh, VSBA our meeting in Williamsburg coming up so this is something definitely that we can um, begin conversations with other surrounding school systems to see if there's um, a way that um, there could be a decoupling of this with Easter Um, but for now it does seem that we have to um, stay in in alignment with the surrounding
12: systems yes dr. Ortiz thank you thank you chair Um, I think my major comment here is that um we're putting forth a policy that's going to be looking two years out and it's going to have this codified and while we are a relatively small district and we have some pretty large neighbors you know they haven't developed their calendars yet and so i think it puts us in a strong position for any discussions moving forward to say hey listen we've committed to this you know this is what we're planning on doing you know um i think we can use your you know you know yeah, you, know, you know there's an opportunity for us to work together here
0: certainly Any other comments on spring break?
3: One comment. Yes. So given that we would be passing a policy that would uh, dictate our calendar two years in advance, and I think uh, the understanding is our neighboring districts pass it a year in advance, there could be a chance that if there is a shift in the spring break based on neighboring districts, that it would take us a year to catch up to that. And there's also a chance that we could pass that, try to catch up, and they could change it again, kind of like what Fairfax did. So just acknowledging that this is going to be difficult to align with with neighboring districts in hopes that um, that they don't keep changing their spring break. Um, And I think the other thing we should state is both the superintendent and school board members have tried to reach out to neighboring school superintendents and school boards, um, hopefully will and and have not gotten any response back in terms of uh, positive alignment. So maybe at the November meeting, we can try to do a little more outreach at the regional meeting uh, to see if there's any chance to align on calendars.
0: And I know, Dr. Noon, that you had um spoken i remember when fairfax changed and it created a lot of headaches for a lot of school systems i know that i believe you had a superintendent's meeting where that was discussed so
4: that's correct and and fairfax county has gone back to um, the old way of scheduling spring break
0: but i think it it did prove that it does seem that all the assist the uh surrounding systems know that they everyone needs whatever that week is that it makes everyone's lives easier if it's all aligned so I'm gonna skip E for just a second because I think it couples well with um section four. Um so let's uh go down to F now. Um Ms. Silverman brought up a good point and this I look to you, Dr. Noonan, on this one. Um the proposed calendars must meet all other legal requirements, including for number of school days. And I don't know, Ms. Silverman thought um did you wanna add or hours to that to give some
7: flexibility? Um, is that right Ms. silverman please correct me if I'm yeah i i don't I, it, it's up to the board but i don't know if we are requiring the calendar to be um, the number of school days and number of hours or number of school days or number of hours do we want to give the flexibility of going down to 178 or 179 if that's what makes most sense for us in a, in a given year i, mean, I don't want to move to 170 like some some neighboring not quite Bordering counties, but some close by counties. I don't want to go down to 170. But should we have flexibility of dropping down a day? And as written, we would not have that flexibility. Or going by hours, too. Uh, I would
4: appreciate that or. Okay. Um, We are always going to start our calendar process with 180 days. Uh, And if there are weird, um, I don't know how to describe them other than to say, kind of days just sort of hanging out, like ending on a Monday, for example, we would eliminate that Monday, and that would allow us then to have the flexibility to drop down as opposed to finding another day that would come out of winter break or somewhere else. So I I would appreciate the or.
7: And, you know, uh, while it might not be in the policy, I would just want to add to the record that this is not a way to, you know, cut our educational time by a significant amount. This is to cut it by a day if it makes sense to do so. Thank you, Ms. Silverman.
0: Okay. Um, so looking at section, uh, E and then, um, or item E and then section four, um, those are connected and, um, you know, this is obviously the, the, this is the tough part of this policy. And, um, for the Pat this year and the year before we did recognize, um, the Jewish high Hollow ho- high holidays, as well as Diwali and Eid and, um, you know, with this proposal, we are proposing that uh, breaks will be really scheduled around fo- federal holidays, and um, instead that we would work with um, Dr. Noonan on developing a regulation where the staff, that instructs the staff to refrain from scheduling exams and special events on religious holidays, um, but, you know, I, I'll just put it out, out there. You know, I, I know we've all received feedback, and I just, you know, I know you all agree, but. Just for the record, this is really devastating to some members of our community, and it's very hurtful. Um, and uh, you know, I, this is something that I having these holidays in the calendar for this year and, and last year really made um, these, these families feel seen and recognized. And so now to pull them away, I think, is just extremely hurtful and, and devastating to them. And so I think we just need to put that out there and own that. Um, And, you know, if we decide to move forward, we need to really um, work with Dr. Noonan, um, you know, on that regulation and making sure that um, these holidays are really respected. And and not just, you know, one of the things, I I received an email today from a community member who talked about the fact that, um, you know, just to say there would be no exams or special events on a religious holiday, it should also not be the day after a holiday. Uh, he used the example of you would never have an exam on December 26th, meaning your student would have to study on Christmas Day. And so I think that's a great example. So it, it really is, and, and as we know, some of how they start the evening before, um, you know, at sunset. So I think you know, and not to put this on on Dr. Noonan, but I think you know, if we're going to hang our hat on this regulation. It's got to be um, have some teeth to it and it's got to um, it, it will never I, you know it's never going to be the same as having these holidays for this this these community members but we could do our best to try to um, recognize uh, those holidays so I don't know if anyone would like to I'm sure people would like to chime in here on on feedback they've received or, or what you all are thinking
3: Vice chair Gould no, I appreciate the comments, uh, Chair Downs, about the the fact that we should own this as a board. I think it is confusing for our families, but I think it's also confusing for the students who uh, who, for the last two years, have been able to, uh, you know, uh, be respected of, uh, with the, their religious time off. Uh, and now we're taking that away. So I think I think I like your phrasing of we've, we've got to own this. Um, I do think that our language before of using secular holidays or secular calendar, excuse me, was confusing when two of our biggest breaks are around uh, traditionally uh, Christian holidays, even though they are around, uh, two of them are around federal holidays. So I think that we also have shifted away from the use of secular calendar because that is confusing. And again, we own that. Um, and this is, a hard decision. I think Ms. Tice said this uh, way back when in May, that the concept of equity and defining equity has many different definitions. Um, and unfortunately, we're not going to be able to have a calendar that honors uh, everything that we're looking to try to do. Um, so, so I, I just I wanted to acknowledge that as well. Um, I would uh, suggest that in our section 4 religious holidays, that we, um, I think we've done a number of measures of providing time off for staff, for providing excused absences for students. Um, we've got a, a, a regulation that the super or the, re, the superintendent has a regulation that uh, his team is going to provide to provide a lot more strength to honor those holidays uh, and and which we have not done, to my knowledge, before um, to have that, that kind of the teeth behind that. Um, I would also suggest that we list the four holidays in our policy to ensure that they have uh, acknowledgement and uh, you know, to some degree protection around that and provide the flexibility that the, um, the superintendent's team, the, um, the, um, the district's equity team to provide additional holidays as needed because I don't know if we're going to be able to predict what kind of, uh, holidays that we might have in this community that we want to respect in the future. So that's what I would uh, suggest on the language in section four. So,
0: um, just so I am understand, so y- your proposal is to add, to specifically name um, the four holidays in Section 4 um, that were removed, that have been, for the past two years, been off, so that were the um, Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah, Diwali, and Eid, and then also adding a little bit, some language that if um, there were other holidays um, that Dr. Noonan felt operationally we needed to be closed on, is that?
3: yeah i I mean i'm
0: not i'm sorry not closing um that we would need to um recognize
3: yeah i think i think giving giving uh the superintendent and the district equity team which uh the the ability to add holidays as needed you know and and turn that over but making sure that the four holidays are are identified in policy okay
0: how do the other members of the board feel about um specifically uh naming those four holidays in this in section four and then also including some language that would give Dr. Noon and his staff some flexibility if there were others. Yes.
12: Yeah, that, that sounds fine to me. I think I wanted to address your prior point that the community member brought up about you wouldn't have an exam after Christmas. I think you absolutely would. You know, if you were prepared to take the test on December 23rd, I guess, if you took Christmas Eve off or whatever, um, you know, it was what this, if you're prepared to take a test on Friday, you know, on Friday and you're sick on Monday, you take it on Tuesday. And um, and so, you know, I think recognizing the holidays and um, uh, appropriately and making sure that we don't set any um, student up um, adversely is an important thing to do. But I, I think, you know, keeping it pretty simple, I think is, 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 is a way that, that that would make the most sense. Um, I think with respect to naming the specific holidays, I you know, I'm, I'm, I think that that makes sense to me, I think those are the ones that are the lar- you know they represent the largest set of non-Christian religions at least in the area, um, and then to to you know there's a lot of ways to do that. Probably the most efficient way is to say including or you know among others you know or something like that just to give them flexibility. It makes complete sense to me.
0: Thank you, Dr. Ortiz. Yes, Ms. Silverman.
7: I'm in favor also of adding the the four religious holidays just so it instructs the superintendent correctly as to which religious holidays we are referring to. Um, I guess the one you know um, like for lack of a better term, word of caution here is I wouldn't want a litany of twenty holidays to have restrictions on on those holidays um similar to what some of our neighboring districts have done i guess at the end of the day it's still up to the school board to vote yes or no on a calendar and if we are presented with a calendar uh, or or i well like but that even wouldn't let me backtrack for a second that wouldn't be in the calendar because this would be a regulation so there's no board oversight if the superintendent wants to add more holidays is that That, correct that's
0: right right and and generally a, a regulation does not involve us because it's operational. Right. But in this in this unique situation, we'll, Dr. Noonan is letting us be a little bit more involved. Thank you, Dr. So I, I
7: guess I would want to leave it with the four holidays then and then um, leave it to the board to amend the policy if we see fit that the superintendent should expand the regulation to include more holidays. Um, and then my second issue here is I, I don't remember... I. I I kind of remember some discussion on this, but um, in letter E at the superintendent's discretion, federal holidays maybe teacher work days or professional development days was that just in case we need to find days for
4: yeah, um, most likely yes
7: so on the sample calendar that was submitted to us,
4: mm-hmm.
7: none of those um, none of the federal holidays ended up being teacher work days or professional development days and we still got out well before june 10th i believe and
4: yeah it can change from year to year um mm-hmm. because of where quarters fall to um so i i just just in case we need that flexibility um for um the end of a quarter or to find a day it would be good to good to have in there
7: so you know maybe just strengthening that sentence or something you know at the superintendent's discretion if no other days can be found or, or something, you know, I I, I want to give teachers and staff the ability to also have federal holidays off if students have them off, if, you know, much of the country has them off, um, you know, if, if again, I, if, if there's a way to make that sentence, you know, like as a, you know, a place to go as a, as a last resort or something. We can work on that language. I think that was Dr. Noon's intent that he would only use that as a last
0: resort. I do believe, so.
7: I, and, and I... Chair Gold, I, I, sorry, Chair Downs. She I, just promoted you. <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that. Chair Downs, I, I agree with you. I do believe that's the intent, but it's just, it's not what's written. So, um, I'll work on that. that. Work and on I can that. work with you on that too. Thank um,
0: you. Um, I do want to, for those who are maybe watching this conversation, we didn't really go over why, um, why we're, we're doing this. And so I'll, I'll just do a brief summary and, and people can chime in. Um, so what we had, um, you know, two years ago, when we had um, the religious holidays in the calendar, along with the federal holidays, it was a lot of days off. And um, so the school board at the time for this current year that we're in right now decided we would keep the religious holidays but take away the federal holidays. Um, but I think we're, I mean, I, I think we, I know that we're still receiving uh, emails from the community that um, it's been challenging. and. The people that have contacted me that's been challenging for are uh, families that ha- have two working parents, um, you know, that they don't, um, tri- who, if they don't so celebrate these religious holidays, they don't have them off from work either, um, because they're not federal holidays, so they have to take a day off of work. Um, the community center camps fill up as soon as they're open. Um, and for students with special needs, they're often not able to attend those camps anyway. Um, you know, in terms of our um, most vulnerable population, our our ESL um, language learners, our economically disadvantaged families. These are all um, families that have really struggled with um, the amount of holidays we've had in the calendar. So that was, um, I think the really, the reason that we sort of took this on. Um, And again, it's what's the hard part of it is that, you know, we by listening to you know and, and listening to the needs of one side of the community now we have to um, sort of penalize another set of the another members of the community um, by taking away these religious holidays but I just wanted to put that up there you know we w- with this regulation we we do hope that um, we'll be able to make sure these students and families feel seen even though that we're removing those holidays but I just wanted to throw that out there why we did this in the first place is that we did um, it's been a hardship for, for many families in our community. I don't know if anyone has anything to add to that piece. Okay, just trying to catch people. Yes, Dr. Ortiz. So a
12: couple of, uh, I mean, the, the other point that we discussed was that it's, you know, there's, there's the hardship component, but also the continuity of education over the course of the year. And, and there's a, quite, quite a number of disruptions, especially this this time of the year. And so, you know, there's, you know, the goal was to, you know, maximize our learning time before um, the the May assessments that occur across the board, and then also to provide the, the, the largest continuity of education with appropriate time off, and uh, you know and federal holidays provide, it, you know what, of course as a federal employee I, I might complain, but a certain certainly an appropriate amount of time off to, to rest and recover, um, and so so those are the that was the that was the rationale that we had. Um, if, if I may, I, just one more comment on, on the regulation. Um, and so, you know, there's, um, if you know, and I think, you know, as a as a loyal reader of the daily um, of of the, of the of the of the morning announcements, um, a lot of things are happening in the schools every day. Right. You know, I mean, it's tremendously busy and exciting what happens. And so, you know, when you know when when um, when I read in the regulation. Um, No exams, you know, and I would would include important assessments or other things like maybe presentations, you know, that occur in classes and things like that um, in that list. And then, you know, we recognize that there are important social um, activities that occur that are kind of common across the schools that are important part of the experiences that our students have. And those are common and you know one that's cited that, that, you know, that, that is, that's actually, you know, really important. It's like picture day, right? You know, I mean, for, for what it is, it's a day that everybody knows about and, and, and you try to do your best for it. And so, you know, not to say that, you know, not to single those, those types of events out, I know there are others, but certain things are going to fall below the line, right? You know, and, um, and, and that's just the way it is. And so, you know, um, I don't know the degree to which Dr. Noonan, you're, Thinking through where that line is, or how you're going to spell that out, um, I, as a difficult task, you know. But, but my feeling is that there's, you know, there's, you know, it's, you know, the, the bar where I would set it is on those assessments, exams, and the kinds of things that 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 a student is is going to be um, is going to be graded on, essentially, and then those other aspects of, of a student's life that um, that 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 are important um, experiences that that we hope that they would share with the, that a student would share with the rest of the of, the, of the of their of their um of their um of their um classmates
0: thank you dr ortiz any other comments? yes vice trigger
3: just to, uh echo dr uh ortiz, ortiz and as well as miss silverman's points i think that that probably lends itself to ensuring that we don't have too many extra holidays that we're trying to honor because i would imagine if we have you know, say, 16 holidays, like our neighboring district, that might be difficult for teachers to even be able to plan and have their own academic continuity. So I think it does, uh, you know, again, this is an operational regulation that you're going to be writing, but ensuring that the teachers are respectful of those days that we have honored, um, making sure that, yeah, that there's a focus around that. So if that makes sense. Thank you, Vice Trouble. Are
0: there comments? I have a question. Yes, Dr. Um, N-
4: or maybe maybe it's a, maybe it's a comment. Um, I, uh, it might be better if you just named the holidays and left it at that for, from an operational perspective. Um, and then if you wanted to revise the policy, you can revise the policy at any time to add a holiday um, as opposed to leaving it up to um, the staff and the, the equity team. What we could do is we could bring to you a request or, or we could share with you what we've heard. But um, just listening to the conversation, um, I, I think I'd, I'd prefer if you just named the holidays and, and left it at that. And we'll build around those those four holidays. Okay. Because they were in the calendar and now they're not. Right. And right. so it seems like it's really clean. Right. Okay.
0: I think that makes yes yeah,
11: i i totally understand that and think that makes a lot of sense i was just wondering if there's a is it worth trying to cre- create a way for community members to speak up if there's a desire for an additional holiday or do we just kind of assume that they know how to find us and is that you know is do we need to put in place something like if we're missing something or there's a advocacy or is that I, just I mean i think
0: of, one way is an uptick in absences right would be
4: that's certainly one way, but you know you all have done a really good job of letting people know how to write to you and how to communicate with you. We also will be um, asking you to adopt resolutions at the beginning of months. We've got a calendar that has all of the different holidays on it um, that we've we've shared. Um, the equity team has shared. Um, so I, I think I think you'll hear I think you'll hear from people, but also. We'll, we'll hear, and, and if we hear, we'll certainly pass those on.
0: Thank you, Dr. Noon. Anything else? Okay, I was planning, um, you know, the rest of policy CC are things that um, we've all been in line in alignment with, and um, we've not received uh, much uh, feedback. Uh, these include teacher work days and professional days. Um, Early release days, we did add some language in there, just making sure that um, it's in, in the policy that on on day on weeks where there is a day off, there will be no early release Wednesday. And this current week is one of those weeks um, that the calendars would end, um, preferably no later than June 10th, and um, and then the end the final two sections are talking are more um, process oriented. Uh, about in terms of uh, Dr. Noonan giving us the proposed calendars and then again that language I might need to change a little bit um based on our earlier conversation but um and then the adoption of the calendars okay. so
4: yes Dr. Noonan just on um the the June 10th if if you all were to implement a policy of one week then two weeks mm-hmm. uh, I don't know with a one-week Right, we'd prior, have to. We'd be able to meet that June tenth right, deadline, so I right. just need to modify that. Right,
0: you so we'll know, wait to hear stuff. from you on right. how that even, if that's worth exploring, and then if it is, then we'll have to figure
4: all that out. Yes,
12: Dr. Ortiz. Um, so yeah, I appreciate you. I mean, we didn't receive comments on 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 the latter parts of the of the proposed calendar, um, but one thing that we we did do is kind of bounce from talking about section E to to or section three E to four, and and and, and the, the only comment we received was the one from um, um, Ms. Silverman regarding strengthening the language around um, the the, um, the applicability of of, um, of scheduling teacher workdays on, on on federal holidays if necessary. And so I think you know it merits us just making sure affirmatively that we um, you know I think the underlying um, the underlying. Um, tenor is that we intend to keep the, the 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 policy as as presented with perhaps a change for from for, 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 for a silverman's point and I think we probably merit a, it's a little bit you know we discussed a little bit about why but I think we've received a few comments and and one of them I think is important to address so you may just have another minute yeah so it has to do with you know essentially um, and and I think it, it, it it's a comment that has some some merit is that um, by removing the religious observance holidays from the calendar, we're going against our goals for equity and inclusion. And um, and, and I and I thought about this some, and um, and and, I, and and I came and I think especially in light of the presentation we saw earlier regarding all the ways in which we kind of, um, especially the last part of the presentation where there's you know so much celebration of different different. Um, uh, of, of of the diversity that we have within our schools is that we neither need to have a holiday it is neither sufficient nor necessary for us to have a holiday to promote the kind of inclusion that we would want and that i think we have as a goal you know if we just have a holiday and don't even mention it you know why and just say oh well, today's a holiday right you know um that doesn't really you know that you no know, it's convenient for certain families it, um, it might not be convenient for others but um, um, but at the same time, it doesn't really celebrate what makes that particular day important, right? And similarly speaking, um, on the other side, if we just talk about it, but don't, um, don't actually, you know, really acknowledge that it's really important, you know, we're not really also, um, you know, achieving our goals. So I think that, you know, my, you know, it, this is built into our strategic plan. It's part of an active process of making sure we're including people You know, um, the calendar is set for academic reasons fundamentally and some operational concerns. And there's a whole lot, there are a whole lot of opportunities for us to really celebrate the diversity and then take advantage of that diversity um, in our programming and in the way that our students interact. So, you know, I don't see this necessarily as a step backwards, you know, but it does shine a light on the need for us to be much more um, uh, intentional about how we go about this in our other work.
0: Yeah, I think that's great feedback. I was gonna try to pull it up, but I'll never be able to find it. Um, But Ms. Hollinger, I thought, um, did such a nice job. Um, One of her Schoology messages um, to the MEH students, um, she talked about um, the the high holidays and some of the history around the Rosh Hashanah. And so I thought that was exactly the sort of, you know, acknowledging and helping our students learn about these different holidays. And so I thought that was, she did a terrific job. And I, I take your point, Dr. Ortiz, thank you any other comments okay so i think um the next steps are that we will um work um oh i know that dr i did have one quick question um i know that you and your staff are working on that regulation do you think that um we'd be able to take a peek at it in in the (laughs) near future
4: uh we're, we're working on it okay um yeah it's it's a I want to I want to do this as collaboratively yeah, yeah, yeah. as possible, so um, because it is just such an unusual one. So let us keep working on it when okay. it's ready to, to share. I great,
0: great, thank you. Uh, and then in the meantime, um, and thank you, Dr. Newton, for entertaining that. You know, looking at that one week versus two week, and we'll just see. Um, you know, if that's worth it, and if so, what we need to do in terms of policy CC. And in the meantime, I'll work on some of the language changes and I'll send it all out to you all for your feedback. And then once we feel like this is a good updated version and Ms. Vinson works her magic, so it looks nice, we will get it back out to the community for, for further feedback um, before our October 11th meeting so that there's time for them to, uh, for the community to look at the pretty near final version of this. And the, the idea is that um, we will, once we vote on this, that uh, the regulation will also be ready to go out. And so they would be um, pretty much released as um, a ta- in, in tandem so that, um, you know, the statement is that, uh, you know, there is gonna be um, a regulation with some teeth to it to, to support our um, communities who are celebrating the non-Christian holidays. Yes, Vice Chair Gould.
3: So from a process standpoint, if there if it looks like we would have the ability to phase this in, to Ms. Tice's uh point, we would have to have a different policy, correct? Or we'd have to add language to adjust for one year versus the all the years after that? Yeah,
0: probably. I don't know. I would have, it's, we probably could have something and then revise the policy or, or uh, yes. I think we yes. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> I have a suggestion. So yes. I
12: think the way that this, so that goes to that goes to um uh as um, Section 3.A, I think in the process section, Section 2, we could say, you know, for, 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 you know, for implementation for the school year starting 2023, um, you know, Section A is, you know, X, and then, you know, Section A as drafted goes into effect, you know, the following year, you know, something like that, just so that it's clear what it is. I don't think you have to do too much, to it or you know or we really mm-hmm. pass one policy yeah. and then promise to do it again right later no no, that's, no yeah that's not the way that's in,
0: to make it happen. thank you Dr. Ortiz yes Ms. Silverman
7: I just also wanted to chime in kind of what you said earlier about owning the decision on the religious holidays um as somebody who celebrated yesterday um for the new year and um you know I I don't work on the high holidays and I and whether the schools are open or closed, my children won't go to school on high holidays. So I understand these struggles. They understand the fact of about being seen, but I also understand what you were talking about earlier, the struggles of, you know, being a working parent, of having young kids, of having issues where the community center isn't the right fit for my children. Um, and so it's, and, and as Ms. Tice had mentioned once, it's, you know, this balance of equities and how do you how are we going to be equitable to everyone? At some, I guess, that might be an impossible um, thing to achieve. And so, I think as the board, as a board, that we've really tried to do the best that we can, and um, and you know, there's. There's no perfect answer to this question as somebody who lives through it, who, who received probably about 30 emails yesterday and 20 texts and 20 <coughs> phone calls from work people who didn't respect my holiday. So I, I, I get it and I hear it and I understand that struggle, but th- at the same time, that struggle of having my kids at home um, where childcare options are not a possibility, um, I, I hear that too. And I, and I think we all have, so just wanted to chime in on that. Thank you, Ms. Silverman.
0: Any other comments? No. Okay, well, I think that uh, wraps up this conversation then. And again, we will, um, Dr. Noonan, will will look at that uh, piece about easing it into the uh, the two weeks before, and then we'll see see if that's worth it, and then we'll work on some of the edits uh in this language and i will get that back out to you and then we will get it out to the community once once it's ready well before the october 11th date so that the community can can see that before we vote on it anything else from anyone well thank you i know this was a late one so thank you um to everyone especially our staff in the room and thank you dr noonan uh for being with us at this late hour we appreciate it have a good evening